What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a race relations episode of the Herfcast. It's not cigar related at all, but Coffee and I are smoking a couple of The Absurd from the Drop Cigar Club by Kyle Gellis uh, out of the El Titan de Bronze factory. So uh, I enjoy these race relations conversations because I get to hear a perspective that's raw and unedited from a couple of guys that live the life. Daryl Davis gets people to leave the KKK. Um, Coffee Black has lived on both sides of the tracks. And I just think that we have good conversations overall. Uh, We talk, obviously, uh, race relations. We talk about the Black Lives Matter movements. um, A little bit about how Antifa called Daryl Davis a white supremacist. Uh, I don't think that they really knew what they were talking about there at all. Uh, But, you know, it's pretty serious throughout. But we do manage to have a little bit of fun here and there. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Hopefully everybody learns a little bit of something. And hopefully you just enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out the website, theherfcast.com, and buy a T-shirt. You could support me on Patreon. There's links for Patreon on my website. Uh, Every little bit helps, and every little bit is definitely appreciated. A $1 donation will get you a shout-out and a button and some stickers. A $5 donation is going to get you into a contest every month. Uh, and a $7 donation is going to get you the contest and a T-shirt. So check that out. If you will, please uh, leave me a review. I want to know what people think of my show. That would be awesome. And subscribe. I've also got some videos on YouTube with uh, Stogie Bird and Janice to back Cigar of the Month Clubs. On both of those websites, stogiebird.com and JaniceToback.com. if you use the code HERFCAST, you will get a discount. So check those out and you won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, so uh, welcome to the Herfcast, everybody. I've got Coffee Black in studio with me. Yes, how are the, Herf, the Herfcast family doing? And joining us via video chat is uh, Daryl Davis. Uh, you might remember him from a past episode. Um, there was the three of us before, and now we're going to do it again. So um, if you're not familiar with Daryl Davis, uh, please check out the, the first episode that we did. Um, and Daryl, do you want to give a quick, uh, quick synopsis? Uh, sure. <clears throat> I'm Daryl Davis, and I'm a professional musician by trade, also an actor and author and lecturer. Some people refer to me as an activist. I've done a lot, a lot of work with um, people who say befriending white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan members, neo-Nazis, in order to find out what makes them tick and how we can mitigate their, uh, their racism and de- de-escalate it. That's, that's, uh, that's, yeah, uh, that's it. That's yeah. exactly, that's, 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 <laughs> that's exactly it. That's, there's not much more you could say to that. So, um, now I don't, I don't know if you uh, recall, but the way I started the last episode, I let you know that, um, I did not do much research on you, uh, before the first episode because I wanted to hear it firsthand. Right. Um, this time, uh, I did find Accidental Courtesy, courtesy and I watched that. Uh, I had to find it on YouTube, and somebody posted it with, with some weird graphics, but it was there nonetheless, and I was able to watch that. So I've got a couple of questions regarding that. Um, that was 2016 that you did that, so it's still, it's still pretty recent, but uh, it seems like some things have changed and some things have uh have stayed the same but 
Um, I also tried finding your book, uh, Clandestine Relations. And uh, do you have an audio version of that or no? Actually, uh, we're working on that right now. Okay. Um, on a new updated book, and we're going to uh, re-release the, uh, the previous one. It'll be in print form and uh, ebook form, audio, whatever. Nice. Okay, because yeah. I checked, I checked uh, uh, what is it? What's the audio book platform? Uh, Kindle or something? Kindle or? Uh, no, the, the, I don't know, whatever. A, Audible? Yeah, Audible. Oh, Audible, yeah. Uh, Audible yeah. didn't have anything, so I, uh, I actually went on Amazon to, uh, to see if I could find the book. And uh, they, there were a few copies on Amazon, but they were, they were upwards of $90, dollars Yeah, you don't, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is, go, uh, because I took it out of print, so what you do want to do is go to the public library. They have it. You read it for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I, I did want a copy for myself, but if, you're, if you are going to be uh, re-releasing it, yeah. uh, that, that should be perfect. Uh, I might have to track down one of the originals eventually. Um, so watching Accidental Courtesy, um, one of the main things that uh, kind of caught my attention was when you were in Baltimore, uh, it, it didn't seem like the, the people that you were talking to were very well received with the work that you've done. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't like the way that you were going about it. And I'm wondering if, if you run into that a lot, uh, if you run uh, into a lot of yes, backlash. I run into that kind of thing from time to time, especially when people don't take the time to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And um, I would say, you know, if, if I were to go on the internet or open up a magazine and see a picture of a, of a black guy shaking hands with somebody in a robe and hood, I I would have a visceral reaction. But knowing me, I would read the backstory. You know, why is this happening? You know, what, what's behind this picture? Oh, okay. Oh, oh I, I get it. I get it now. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, some people, you know, will do that. Others will jump to conclusions and without reading the backstory and form their own opinion, and that's it. And that's what happened uh, in Baltimore. But as you said, you know, that was 2016. And since that time, some things have changed. Uh, those guys and I are now friends. That that was going to be my next question because yeah. in in the in the accidental courtesy, uh, I, I should have mentioned it before I asked, but uh, it was the the people from the Black Lives Matter movement, and they they did not like what what uh, Daryl Davis was all about. So yeah, my next question was going to be: Have you talked to them since, and and yeah. how how has that relationship progressed? Oh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we we've done some things together, and uh, it's going along you know very well. Um, and, and I do want to say something um, about, about that movement, okay? It's not really, per se, a movement uh, in the traditional sense. What it is, is it is movements, plural, okay? The idea behind forming uh, that, uh, that group or whatever is an excellent idea. The, the reason behind it was to put the national spotlight on the plight of black men who, for lack of a better word, were being murdered by uh, white police officers for holding a cell phone, holding their wallet, things like that, where uh, white guys in the same situation either got to go home or go to jail. 
black right. guys into their graves. So what the founders did was put the national spotlight on it. And the idea came from Martin Luther King and the bus boycott, because Rosa Parks was not the first black woman to refuse to give right. her a bus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? It was going on all the time down there in Montgomery, Alabama, but nobody knew about it except Montgomery, Alabama. So Martin Luther King said, hey, you know, let's, let's put this in the fishbowl and let the whole country see what's going on. Okay, that's how that worked. And that was the idea behind Black Lives Matter. However, um, the problem, as I see it, and the fault that I see is while it was an excellent idea, the, uh, the founders uh, intentionally did not want to centralize it. They didn't want to trademark it. They just wanted it to, be, it to be organic. And I think that they had no idea how big that thing was going to mushroom. Yeah. Because now you got 80 or 90 chapters of Black Lives Matter all over the country, and they all are autonomous. Each one of them has its own leader. Right. And, and too often, the leaders are not on the same page. Exactly. You know, there's, a, you know, there's a chapter in Detroit, there's a chapter in New York that both email me or call me and say, hey, you know, do you give workshops? Can you teach us to do what you do? And then there are other chapters, as you see, you know, that want to rip me apart. So, you know, it's, it's not centralized, say like the NAACP or the Boy Scouts of America or the Red Cross. Where, where policy is created at headquarters and disseminated to all the chapters around the country so everybody is on the same page. Right. Uh, that's not the case with, with BLM. And as a result, if you, know, you might have a, a BLM chapter, he might have a BLM chapter, and if you do something uh, that is off or, or you know, wrong or whatever, it's going to reflect on his chapter because the media just says Black Lives Matter. They don't say the, uh, the Ohio chapter or the Detroit chapter or whatever. They don't distinguish. Yeah. You know, they report it as Black Lives Matter. So it paints a broad brush, which is not, it's not a broad thing. It's, they're all separate organizations. So do you think that there's a way and do you think that they should centralize and become one, uh, one focused organization? Or do you think that it should stay chapterized? Well, I'll tell you what, um, time has proven over centuries, over centuries, there is strength in numbers. Okay? That's why we have allies around the world, because we all want to be on the same page when we fight our common enemy. Mm -hmm. If we're not on the same page when we go to war with our common enemy, then we are defeating ourselves. And the best way for an enemy to defeat us is to do what? divide and, and conquer. conquer okay so why are we dividing ourselves huh that's the question that's exactly what we're doing we are divide we're, we're fighting each other we i mean but we, we uh, i totally agree and part of that has been established and uh, deeply rooted in our culture that comes from you know slavery you know when right. you, like the, the popularity of which now it's kind of like a joke um comedically in, in, in the comedic culture, uh, you know, well, amongst blacks, you know, light skin versus dark skin and right. all that, all that stems from slavery, but it was, that was part of the, the mental tactic to divide, uh, black people. Uh, you yeah. live in a house, you That's are right. better than them. The, the lighter, uh, more caramel or lighter complex as you are, the closer you work to the big house and the darker you were, the further you were back. And That's, you're exactly right. 
And, yeah. and, and check this out. I mean, you guys, you guys are young, but I'm sure you've all seen the TV shows maybe in, in syndication, rerun and stuff. But um, when you see a, a TV show from, say, the 70s or 80s or whatever, even the 90s, where you have an interracial couple, the black person is always light-skinned. That's right. Okay? And, and, and look, look who, the, the, first, the first black woman to win an Oscar uh, was Halle Berry. Now, Halle Berry's a very pretty girl. Uh, she's light-skinned, all right? Um, she's not a Cicely Tyson by any means, you know? Uh, and, there, and there are others. Yeah. You know, Cicely Tyson is, is on par with Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. You know, Cicely Tyson never won an Oscar. Yeah. Um, you know, so it still goes on. You know, that, 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 color, that color thing, you know, the, the, the shade, yeah, high color, yellow. Yeah, colorism. Color, you want to call it. Yeah, that, that colorism is a, is a huge thing. And, so, and look how far, not to interrupt, Brian, but look how far it came. Like, like you were just posing a question. You know, yeah. we are not centralized. Yeah. Part of other um, cultures uh, or ethnicities, one part of their criticisms uh, uh, of the black community is that we are not, or right. we are not together. Uh, for instance, um, uh, Killer Mike, uh, the rapper and, and black activist, uh, he's got a show on Netflix. He did a show. Um, one of the episodes was about the black dollar uh, and how long each community's dollar stays within their community. The black dollar stays in the black community less than two minutes. Yeah, that's I, I, the Asians is like 28 days. Whites, I, I forgot like the total breakdown. We're in minutes Yeah, because there's that, nothing black owned. I was going to say, I, I just heard about probably that episode, the episode where, um, you know, the guy decides to not spend any money on any, you know, only on black owned businesses. And he ended up uh, almost starving, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't find, you know, he wouldn't smoke the weed that anybody was selling because it was being grown by white people. Um, he, could, he couldn't eat. Yeah, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, nothing. Um, you know, yeah, I, I did just hear about that. It, it, it was it was incredibly phenomenal. So, and then, and then uh, one time we did have we did have a thriving uh, uh, black um, business. We, it was called Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 And then of course it was so thriving, people destroyed it. You know, uh, they made up stories about about some guy, uh, the shoe shine guy, uh, allegedly assaulting the uh, white girl in the elevator and then they just came in and wiped out over 300 black people in a weekend. Yeah. And that was a thriving community. And some of those people, some of those people are still alive today mm -hmm. and, and they were promised restitution and not one has received it, which tells you the government is just waiting for them to die off because they're in their late nineties. A couple are a hundred years old, 101 years old. So, you know, they won't be around another two or three years. And then you know uh, they'll never get their restitution. Not a, not at all. And uh, the younger generation, uh, though we yeah. And if we do, we are passive in the fight. Right. 
fear of of the fight. That like I can speak on my generation. Like a, a lot of our generation, like oh yeah, we young, we rough, we tough. We got a lot of aggression. We have a lot of anger. We got a lot of angst. Um, it's not that we're not intelligent. It's not that we don't have the smarts, but we have no structure. Now, now, and what I mean, as an overall, the structure that we have is not a high percentage of structure. Like we are, come, we are becoming more and more structured or the aesthetics look like we are. But look, if a racial war was really to break out, we'd be fucked. Like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> we'd be fucked. You, we you, we don't saying, have that. Are you saying we, as in everybody as a whole, or we as in Black America, the Black community, Black the Black community is screwed. We are screwed. We are. We when shit gets tight, a lot of times we have a every man for himself. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Of you know mentality, it's sad, but it's true that that is a thing. Like we'll sit there, and we'll we'll talk the shit on 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 all social media, and we'll come together on social media. Oh, we'll see something, and it's not right. For instance, recently. Uh, I want to get your take on this too, Daryl. Uh, the Amber Geiger case. Uh, after the verdict was brought down, um, you know, it was being filmed. Now, I believe if it was if it wasn't being filmed, nobody would have known it. It wouldn't have even been an issue. But the judge hugged Amber Geiger after bringing the verdict down. The bailiff, who was a black woman, was fixing her hair. And you know, consoling her during the <laughs> wow during the, and, and to watch it, I didn't I didn't know. Well, I knew I was like, wow, that is that's interesting. When I was watching the trial proceed, I didn't know that it would blow up. What I just witnessed would blow up, and everybody would be in in arms about a black judge hugging a white cop who just killed a innocent unarmed black man in his apartment. As a mistake, it was a cover. Of course, they were trying to get her off. It was a cover-up and all that other stuff. But just the, the visual image of a black judge hugging a white woman who was a cop, young, blonde, almost as uh, forgiveness, or you know, like it's so, gonna be okay. Like, like that is something that's tearing us apart right now. Cause so, with that being said, what's <laughs> how how do you guys feel about his brother forgiving and hugging? I mean, like family. Look, I, I didn't criticize the brother. I think you should grieve how you need to grieve. It's his loss. That that is totally. There's no criticism there. Yeah, we all we all process yeah. our loss and death in our own way. Yeah, there are other yeah. family members, you know, that didn't agree with them. There are others, yeah. Agree. And 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 you'll find usually, not always, uh, but more often than not, when when a black family is a victim of uh, of such things, uh, we are the first to forgive. Yeah, that's one thing that that I, I was listening to a podcast about it, and that's one thing that they brought up is that uh, you know the 
like you said, the black family is always willing to forgive. Uh, and you know, I, I, I don't know if I should say 99.9 or 95% yeah. or, or whatever, but you know, the white population, uh, we, we never, for the most part, we never forgive, um, you know, the, the, the criminal or, you know, in, in, the in whatever case. Yeah. But, but, you know, but here, here's the thing, you know, um, you know, we're told that's the Christian way and we walk the walk yeah. 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 See, and all they do is talk the talk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, um, I mean, you know, and you know, I mean, speaking for myself, um, I mean, there would be some things that I just simply could not forgive. Right. Personally. There might be some things, you know, that I could, but, uh, but like you said, you know, I, I, I can't judge the brother. Every, everybody has to, has to process their loss, mm-hmm. how they see fit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if that's what he, what he feels he has to do, um, you know, that'll, that, you know, that, that, that's what gets him through and, you know, come judgment day, uh, he, you know, he'll be okay. Yeah. But it's not the first time though. No, not at all. It's no, not the first time. It was uh, my uh, my buddy Big Haas from Voice from the Underground. I, that's the show that I was listening to, and he he went off on it for for a couple of minutes. Where you know, and that's that's the only reason that I know uh, uh, about you know the the forgiveness aspect. Um, and you know that that really opened my eyes, and it made me think about it. It's like you know, yeah, that's that's. I mean, I can't personally say yeah, that's true, uh, but I could I could definitely see. Uh, the truth behind it, Darryl, you know. Do you think, um, for our community, do you feel like I, I tend to feel sometimes? I've had a lot of these conversations, and I'm still uh, wavering about exactly. Uh, I got mixed emotions on it. Um, do you feel like, as a black man in our community and in our history? Uh, within the country and within this world that we like other ethnicities specifically in America like the whites they're it's like expected of us to just let the shit roll off our shoulders like yeah I wronged you just all right just forget about it or yeah okay let it go let it go like that like, yeah, like we're yeah. expected to but we mask it under oh this is the the christian way this is the christian thing to do and like i can forgive you but i don't need to console you yeah you, you, right. you know what i mean like I, like right. it, it seems like in our community for instance uh the young man uh, uh during trump's uh, presidential election uh that got punched in the face Right by that by the white guy and the guy got arrested and in court he was there and this guy started crying in court the guy that punched this this, this black gentleman and he started crying in court the judge felt sorry for him the the bailiff felt sorry for him the jury felt sorry for him everybody felt sorry for him and then this black guy that got assaulted forgave him. Not only did he forgive him, he shook his hand, he gave him a hug, said it's okay. I'm not saying you should hold a grudge, but I'm wondering, like, growing up black and being black in America, it's like we have a sensitivity to white guilt. 
like it's some like somehow like we have like this uh it's it's been programmed in us to you know like we can feel sorry like uh you know what oh i feel sorry when you see that a, a white man you know cry or white woman cry is like oh man it's this is so sad this is so heartbroken when it's somebody black it's not really a big fucking deal we're just supposed to move on from the shit you just want us to move on from the shit like how do you feel about that like that the guilt trip i guess in the sense i don't even know how to the properly uh to i work. think i think i think you're absolutely right you know it's one thing to forgive it's another to console and here's here's the thing um when somebody is for, is forgiven for something, I would think that the person who is forgiven would try to reciprocate something. Okay, uh, you you are responsible for somebody's death. You are responsible for hurting somebody or whatever. Whether you hurt the individual and he lived, or you hurt or you killed the individual and hurt his family because he's no longer around. Okay, so now. The family has forgiven you. What are you going to give the family? They have given you their forgiveness, and they have they have hugged you. They have shaken your hand. They have consoled you. What are you going to give them in return? So, I'm not talking about, about necessarily money. I'm talking about what can you offer them in return? Like in the in the case with the with the apartment shooting, um, you know the the apology and the the forgiveness. Um, how? Like, would, would something like, I mean, how, how well do you think she would be received if she decided that, all right, from this day forward, I'm going to give my best effort, effort for, you know, the, the, black right, or the Black Lives Matter movement or something like that? Do you think that it would be well received by most or do you think it would be, well, you know, who, who the hell does she think she is? Well, you, you don't get both. I mean, black people are just as individual as white people. So, you know, you'll, you'll get a little bit of both. But I think that would be a step in the right direction. You know, she acted out of, out of fear or out of racism or whatever because that guy was black. It probably would not have happened if that guy was white. If that guy was white, she wouldn't even have been suspicious of the guy. So, you know, if, if she were to dedicate either the rest of her life or part of her life to maybe training cops to more sensitivity or, or, or working for a black cause or something like that, that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's not going to bring that guy back that she killed. No. It would be a step in the right direction, you yeah. know, and, and, and it would influence other people to do the same. But just to get off and say, okay, well, now I'm forgiven. Now I'm just going about my life. You know, I don't think that's right. I think also, too, it, it's a matter of, of justice, not so much what she's willing to do yeah Uh it's a matter of justice and i think that like when when oh she was found guilty it was no different than than what we talked about previously before with van dyke out of chicago it it, yeah like i I, i've always wait i always pause when i hear a conviction brought down um in a racially charged death you know white versus black like i always wait for the conviction to be even if there is a conviction uh, on sons on said cop yeah. because I know whatever it is is gonna be lean lean leniency in involved. She got ten years. She's probably gonna end up doing maybe three and a half or four. Mm-hmm. 
Like that that's like that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. It's the same thing with Van Dyke. Van Dyke is probably gonna end up doing two and a half, three years. That's well, look, not that's not judging because here's the thing. If he was a black cop, first of all, let's just flip it. If he was black, well he is black, but if he ran up on her as a civilian and she was a cop and he came to her apartment and fired upon her and killed her and, and had the same exact excuse, I thought this was my apartment and I was drunk, he'd have the death penalty. No. No question. Fair co- that's not compensation to somebody lo- losing a family member, a brother, a son, 10 years and you dedicating your life so like you said, it's a start, but that's not that that's not doing a damn thing. Because the the system is already systemically racial uh, racially charged. Yeah. Look, you know, look, look, look at it like this. Um a few years ago, they began arresting uh uh clan members uh, who were still living. So some of them had died. Um, the ones who were still living, who uh, who participated in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church down in Birmingham, down in Birmingham, back in yeah. 1963. Okay, that you know, which is over 40 years ago, that killed the four little black girls. Now, think about this for a second. All right, they 40 40 years after the fact, they have enough evidence to convict those people, all right? Um, you know, this proves that it's racism because, number one, in 1963 when it happened, they all, know, they all knew who did it. Uh, you had cops who were in the Klan, that's a fact. You had a jury that was, that was tainted with Klan members, that's a right. fact. And, and those people got off. You know, they, 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 they were not brought, they were not charged. Okay, mm-hmm. at that time when that happened, there was more fresh evidence right then and there, okay, to yeah. those people. 40 years later, eyewitnesses are dead. Some are old, they got dementia, they can't remember anything. Evidence disintegrates, it gets lost, etc. There is less evidence 40 years later. So how do you convict somebody on less evidence 40 years later then you could convict them on 100% of the evidence uh, 40 years ago because you were hiding it back then. You yeah. know, and and a- attitudes have changed in the 40 years. Why not just come out and say, you know what? 40 years ago, we were racist and we, and, and, and we did not do our job. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, I, I was going to say, is this, do you, do you think it's just a way of saying, all right, we were wrong. Now we're going to try to write this. Um, you know, because I, I don't think anybody could not deny the yeah. fact that, Listen, that they I mean, were wrong. It's, it's, like, it's the same thing with this. Um, you, take, you take slavery, all right? This country has never, hear my words, has never apologized for slavery. Now, the closest they came was the country said slavery was wrong. And who said that? Bill Clinton said it. And he said it on a trip to Africa. All right. He said it was wrong, but he fell short of saying we apologize for it. Because when you apologize for something, uh, it means you are accountable for it. 
Exactly. To say that you're that it's wrong, you know, it, 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 it puts you a little further back. We all know right from wrong. But when you say, I'm sorry, it means you have done something. And people don't want to be held accountable. You know, we were promised, uh, what, 40 acres and a mule. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody got that, right? Now, we have apologized and we have uh, given uh, reparations to Native Americans for what we did to them. If you have one eighth Native American blood in you, you're entitled to some government subsidy. We have also apologized and given reparations to Japanese Americans and their descendants of ones who we put in the internment camps uh, after uh, Pearl Harbor, all right? If you, if you are a Japanese American or you're a descendant of those people, we have apologized for that. But we, because there are fewer uh, of those than there are of black people. Mm -hmm. and, and they, you know, and see, if they ever say they're sorry, that means they're accountable. And if they're accountable, it means they owe. Do you think that we could get to that place like we did with the, with the bombing situation? Do you think that we could go back and, and do that? Or do you think, I don't know a better way to put it, but uh, do you think it's a lost cause? No, I don't uh, know. No, no, no. It can never be a lost cause, okay? Because you, you can never move forward until you acknowledge that you have done something wrong. And, and you know, many of, you know the, the excuse that I hear, and I'll tell you how I answered that. The excuse that I hear is, well, uh, say for slavery, for example. So I speak at a lot of colleges. And, and I have people tell me, well, you know, I'm not a racist and blah, blah, blah. And, and maybe you're not a racist. But, but you'll say, um, I, I don't see why I should apologize. I wasn't even around during the time that my great-great-grandfather owned slaves or whatever. So why should, why should I you know, be responsible? Why should I apologize? The apology is symbolic. Yeah, right? that's what so we talked you about. Not, you're not, you were not around. Uh, no one's holding you accountable for what your ancestors did. But if you don't acknowledge it and apologize for it, then it's more like you are silently condoning it. Yeah, you're, um, you're thanks, Thanksgiving and example, the example that I gave this one girl, yeah. uh, she was a very nice girl, as <coughs> out at Michigan State University in, uh, in Lansing, Michigan, a few years back. I was giving a lecture there. And, and she said she was not a racist. And I, and I believe she was not a racist, but I had to set her straight. She did not believe that, that, that people today uh, had to apologize for slavery because nobody was around today that did it. She said it was wrong, but what, what's the purpose of an, an apology? I said, okay, you're here at Michigan State University. Let's say I'm also a student here at Michigan State. <clears throat> Let's say uh, Thanksgiving is, is coming up, and you know that I live on the East Coast, and I might not be going home for Thanksgiving. So you say to me, hey, uh, you know, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I say, I'm going to hang around my dormitory. And you say, well, you, you live here. You say, well, hey. My, my grandparents told me, you know, if I wanted to, I can invite some of my classmates over to the house for Thanksgiving dinner uh, if, if they're not going back to be with their families. You know, would you have to come to my house? I said, sure. So you come and you pick me up and you pick up some other students or whatever. You take me over to your grandparents' house and we have Thanksgiving dinner. And then let's say at the table, your grandfather or grandmother makes some off the word, off the, off the mark racial slur. Um, you know that's that's derogatory towards me. When you when you were bringing me back to your to, to my dormitory, what are you going to say about it? And she said, "Well, I'm going to say, hey, I'm sorry about about you know what my grandfather said." 
I said, wait a minute. You are apologizing for your ancestor. Your grandfather is your ancestor. It wasn't your fault he said that. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> you are apologizing for him. Yeah. That is symbolic. Oh, and, and if you didn't apologize for him, you and I are no longer friends. Now, what was her response to that? Because, because, oh, it. yeah, you, you better. Let me tell you something. If you break something down like that to somebody and you're a college student and you don't understand it after that, <laughs> I'm you, doing you must, you every fucking thing I can to make sure you're no longer in college because you're wasting fucking time. And energy. You must have had one of those parents that was a celebrity that paid for you to get in school. Because that, that, I mean, that that was, I mean, that was, uh, you can't word it any better than that. Hey, listen. You can't word it any better than if, that. If, 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 you, if you are sitting in the movie theater watching a movie and somebody wants to go get popcorn or go to the bathroom, they got to walk in front of you. If they step on, on your foot and, and they don't say, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, I'm sorry. That ruins the whole movie for you. Yeah. You'll be mad the rest of the movie. Yeah. But, but if they say, hey, I'm sorry about that. I'm so sorry. You know, okay, hey, that's cool. You know, you forgive them and you move on. Yeah. It's, I, I, I was speaking with a friend um, this, this summer and uh, they were having the issue going on uh, with a family member and they were upset about it. Well, they, they were, you know, they were un, you know, they were unsettled by some of the things the person had said and, and how things were going on with the family. Anyway, it was resentment was starting to set in. And uh, I told her, I said, I know you haven't reached out to this, this family member, but you need to. Yeah. I know you don't know how to, but you should reach out and make some sort of attempt to resolve the situation. If, if resentment and resolve go hand in hand, right? They go hand in hand. If something happens and there's no attempt of resolve, resentment will set in. Yeah. And resentment will grow. Right. And that causes a big issue because a, along with it's like mold. Resentment's like mold. It, it, it can get rid it, the, the more and more time it goes on. If it's not attacked, the worse it's going to get. That's right. But if you make some attempt, some sort of attempt to resolve the situation, uh, it's not gonna, it may not be better automatically. But it'll be but, mitigated. But it'd be mitigated. That individual, if not for nothing else. Made the attempt. They made the attempt. You could still be upset. The anger can still be there. The emotions can still be there. But they made an attempt. Yeah, that's that. That's kind of the you can forgive, but you can't forget. The, the attempt must be made, and there hasn't been a real attempt. You might not feel that you need to apologize for slavery, but white privilege, which is a thing. I even I have a joke about <laughs> about white privilege. I I have a joke about white privilege. I say everybody has privilege. White people have privilege. Black people have privilege. Hell, Indians got privilege. Crazy. I was on I was on an Indian revela- uh, 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 reservation. I believe Daryl, you were talking about it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's they get a stipend of somewhere around like seventy thousand dollars a year without work from the U.S. government. Now this is per, not this per not, person per Indian. Yes. 
if they don't leave the earth, if they if they live on a reservation, they get seventy thousand dollars a year. Their college is paid for. All of that. Yeah. It's not properly. It's not widely loaned. It's not you know general. I mean, it is general knowledge, but it's. It, when was the last time you saw? What was it? I don't know if it was D.L. Hewley that had that joke. When was the last time you saw a, a Indian family out at? you know, at Chili's, you know, having a meal at seven o'clock on a Saturday night. (laughs) You know what I mean? But everybody has privilege. White privilege is just more valuable. Yeah. Like you you benefit from what transpired before. It's what my, my question to that young lady would have been, you may not feel you need to, but how does it hurt you if you do it? What no. what is hurting you to apologize? What would have hurt you to apologize to Daryl if y'all were out to eat? Your grandfather said some shit, and Daryl says, "You know, your grandfather said some comments that were really off mark this evening. Uh, it kind of, you know, kind of upset me a little bit." Oh well, that's not my fault. That's him. I'm not going to apologize for it. What would it have hurt? Yeah. What would it have hurt? You it would have hurt. It would have hurt my relationship with her. Right. It would hurt your relationship with her, but it would not have hurt her. And if she doesn't value the relationship with Daryl, she's going to say, "Oh, it's not a big deal. If you're so yeah. upset about it, well then, fuck it, screw you. Well then, I should have never been eating at your fucking house in the first place. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I should. I should have never been there in the first place. Why? Why are we even? Why? What are we doing? I, I, you know, you don't need to drop me off at my house. Drop me off at the corner. You're not worried about me. I'm fine. You obviously don't care about my emotional state. Why would you care about what happens to me physically? I feel like it's a, a, a part of the population. They're not racist. They just don't want to get it. It's easily got. It didn't take Daryl three minutes to break it down to her. Yeah, that was if we run the, the tape back on the podcast, Daryl broke that down to that young lady in less than like 35 seconds. Yeah. And she understood exactly what it was. Well, I, I'll give you another example. I mean, you know, two, two wrongs don't make a right, but some but sometimes they do. Hey, say it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> uh, I, I'll give you an example of something. Right. Um, let's let's go back to uh, to Rodney King. Okay. Right? Okay. Everybody saw the video mm-hmm. of this man getting beat mm-hmm. mercilessly. All right. And you know, back back at that time, nobody had videos except TV stations. Mm-hmm. You know, they carried them on their shoulder, big things. Except this guy, George Halliday, he had one. He could afford it or whatever. And he and he captured that that scene. And of course, he got threatened. You know. Uh, uh, for, 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 for letting it out. But um, uh, people were seeing, white people were seeing for the first time what we had been complaining about for decades. Yeah. Because people thought automatically, well, you know, if you're getting beaten like that by the police, you had to have done something. Come on. You had to have done something. Cops just don't go around beating you up like that. You know, you know what did you do? Well, he didn't do anything but, but, but flee the cops. All right, and and they had they had enough police there to take him down, handcuff him, and take him to jail. But instead, they took out their their anger on him and they mm-hmm. punished him. All right, so now, um, 
the, the, the black leaders in that community around Los Angeles came out and, and said, hey, you know, everybody remain calm. Don't go out on the streets. Let's, let's let the judicial process, you know, run its course. Don't go out and start rioting because, you know, you know what happens when, when stuff like that happens, right? We go out and burn down buildings and destroy stuff and all that kind of stuff. So they begged and pleaded with the community, hey, you know, we got the video, let, you know, let's let justice flow. Sit back and do nothing. Let the courts go through their procedure. Nobody went out and rioted that night. Nobody did. You know, and we all saw the video, right? Yes. So then um, they, they changed the, uh, the venue from, from L.A. To, uh, to Simi Valley, all-white gated community, all-white jury, all right? And, and that jury acquitted those four police officers. Yeah. And when that happened, that's when all hell broke loose. That's when the rioting started, right? And, that, and that, I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize and don't put together. Because, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. honestly, like, if you, were, if you were to ask me before that, I probably would have told you, you know, just the blanket statement of they rioted over Rodney King. But the, the, the details are everything with that. You right. Know, exactly. they, they did riot over uh, Rodney King, but they rioted not, you know, like you said, it wasn't that night. It was, you know, because of Florida. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and now here, here's where it gets a little tricky. All right. And here, here's where where um, you, you mentioned the, the uh, resentment and the resolve. Here's where it comes in. You know, they were a day late and a dollar short. And I'll tell you how that happened, right? Because when they went out and rioted, what happened? Four black guys snatched this uh, white guy out of a truck, right? Remember him? Reg- I think his name was Reginald Denny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Reginald Denny wasn't doing anything. He was completely innocent. He was driving through, doing his delivery or whatever it was he was doing. He got, he got carjacked, yanked out of the truck. He got beaten up, got a cinder block thrown on his head. And all of that was captured on videotape by a news helicopter, right? So now you got four black guys doing the, almost the exact same thing to a white motorist as four white cops did to a black motorist, all right? So now they have to go to court. Now, were they, were they right in doing that or were they wrong in doing that? Of course, the answer is simple. They were wrong in doing that to Reginald Denny. Yeah. Just like the four white cops were wrong in doing it to Rodney King. However, the courts had to let those four guys off. Because if they had not let those four black guys off for doing that to Reginald Denny, there would be no Los Angeles today. It, yeah. it would have been completely destroyed because that would have shown the, dis- the disparity and disproportionate uh, justice. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, it's okay for four black, co- four black uh, white guys to beat the daylights out of some black guy and get off. But when it happens to a white guy, oh, no, no, we got, we, got to, we got to lock them up and give them life or whatever. They had to let those black guys off in order to save Los Angeles. Those four, those four black guys got off. Okay? Yeah. So there are two wrongs right there yeah. that were righted. See, so if so, if you had, if you if they had done the resolve in the first place that he's right. talking about, there would have there would have been it, no it, resentment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it it's sad that 
something. There's different levels of egregiousness. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They, 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 like I'm serious. Like there's different levels of egregiousness. It, it's it's okay. Uh, for the sports fans out there that listen to the show, if you're confused at what we're talking about, last year in the NFL, that pass interference called on on the New Orleans Saints, on 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 the Rams cornerback. Yeah. He blatantly got there early, okay? He blatantly got there early. 110%. The game, the game was on the line. No pass interference call. There is no rule set up where you can review a penalty. Now there it, is. But now the, it created such an uproar yeah. that now. It's a precedent. It's, it's, a, it's a precedent. It's similar to. You, you'll watch it in the game. You'll see something happen. You'll be like, oh, wait a minute. That was pass interference. And the referees may miss a call. And they know that they missed that call and they got it wrong. So they'll do, they'll so, do the payback call. So, so they'll do a payback call and they'll call holding on a third and whatever. And it wasn't holding or it wasn't pass interference. You look at it and the comment, everybody's seen it. Well, there wasn't. And, and it automatically, you know. It, it's an NBA. It's a baseball. Oh, oh, okay. All right. We know what happened right there. They are just giving that team, you know, a, a freebie because they know they missed one. Let's keep it balanced. Let's keep it even. Oh, we're playing physical in the first half with this team, and we're calling calls. All right. Well, let's let them play physical. Or you know what? Let's a foul for a foul. Yeah. It's different levels of egregiousness. It's just sad. That that guy that day, that you know what you know what's sad about it. Rodney King got his ass whooped by those cops. That guy woke up that morning, got in his truck, was going wherever he was going, and had no idea he was getting ready to be attacked and get pulled out the car by four black men. Yeah. And get a center block thrown on his fucking head. He had no idea what was gonna happen. But that needed to happen to balance the tide. Exactly. It, 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 it's it's an absolute wrong. It's an absolute wrong. But the shit they did was fucking egregious. If that was my son, I would be in an uproar. Yeah. That was fucking egregious. You kidding me? Hell no. Hell no. I, I, I'm... I'm that sucks for that guy. That guy had a shitty day that day. But guess what, man? You just took one for the fucking team. <laughs> and sometimes you don't, in life, it, it's a difference when you know you're getting ready to take one for the team as right. opposed to not knowing. Yeah. But guess what? They're both in line. It needs to fucking happen. The baseline is the shit needed to happen. And you were just elected to happen. Whether you knew it or you didn't, that's what it was. Like, that's as simple as it is. It's, that is so sad. Yeah. That's sad. That's very much so. And, and you know what the funny thing is? Black people were in such an uproar about Rodney King. And then Rodney King came out there and started doing dumb shit, like after he won the lawsuit against the L.A. Police Department, that mm -hmm. black people were like, 
fuck Rodney King. Like immediately <laughs> black people were like, fuck Rodney King because he was stupid as shit. He started using drugs, he was doing this, and he was doing that, and he was fucking up. And he ended, I think he ended up in jail again. Like he was doing dumb shit. We didn't even give a shit because it wasn't so much about him. It was about Rodney King was elected that day and he didn't even know he was elected that day. Yeah. That ass whooping. I mean, God, I'm 35 years old. I remember a uh, uh, different world. It was a show, a sitcom called Different World. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know about it. Uh, uh, created by Bill Cosby. Uh, um, came on after the Cosby show. This was this one when network television was network television. And, <laughs> and, uh, and they did an actual, they actually did an episode on, on that riot after that. Like they, like that, we're talking, it's 2019. We're still talking about Rodney King. Yeah. That's how prolific. Oh, definitely. That happened. He didn't know this. He didn't know. I mean, if you ask Rodney King in 2019, it'd be flying cars. No, Not no, hold on. Three, so, three so guys is, chopping it up about him and, and him getting his ass whooped before so, cops. So this is actually a really good point to make, uh, you know, for, I guess, for anyone who, you know, now it's the digital age and everybody's got a camera and all that. So, uh, you know, to anyone who, who thinks that, oh, this, this, this is just starting to happen. Like, no, this this has been happening forever. And I oh, think Rod, Rodney King is, is a perfect example just to say, you know, yeah, that's, that's even when there weren't cameras everywhere. Um, yeah. you know, so I guess that's, a, that's a good callback to, to, to that is, you know, it, maybe if more people thought about, all right, yeah, it's the, the police state isn't just starting to be like this, that this has obviously been going on hell, since way longer than Rodney King even. Right. Well, oh my so God! From, yes. from from the beginning, yeah, yeah. from the beginning of of, of freeing the slaves, um, but uh, with, with with that being said, uh, another question that I wanted to ask you is: I mean, you you've I'm assuming you have your finger on the pulse a, a lot more than I do as far as the police state goes. Oh yeah. Um. So I I wanted to know your opinion. If do you think that there's any progress being made? with the current police state, or do you think that it's, it's still staying the same or, or regressing for that fact? Okay. I can tell you a lot of it's still staying the same. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and here's the problem that people are not, are not addressing. Um, everybody thinks in terms of the police as there being two kinds of cops, they're good cops and they're bad cops. Well, there are actually three categories. And nobody talks about the third category, which is the minority, the smallest category. Um, we, all, we all know, well, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, when, whenever, whenever a cop screws up or whatever, first thing the, the chief says or, or, the, or the police spokesperson says is, you know, uh, our officer followed you know, proper police protocol. Uh, he feared for his life, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's always going to need to defend him. The, the catchphrase is he feared for his life. Okay. So then uh, when it goes to court and, and, that, and that one out of 10 times that the police officer is convicted, but usually they get off. Oh, um, you better believe it. Right. Then the chief comes on or the PR person comes on and says, well, you know, in a department this large, you know, there are bound to be a few bad apples. Well, you know, that's another catchphrase. Yeah. No, 
there are more bad apples in the police department than there are good apples. And I'll tell you why I say that, all right? Are, are there good, decent cops? Absolutely, no question about it. But there are more bad ones, and I'll tell you why. Like I said, people think of the police in two categories, good cops and bad cops. No, there's a third category that nobody talks about. We all know what uh, a bad cop does. All right, a good cop will not do those things, but the good cop will not tell on the bad cop. The good yeah. cop will turn a blind eye. There it's you that, go. Yeah, that blue coat of silence, right? That's it. Yeah, okay. that's it. That now, loyalty. Exactly. All right. Now, the third, the, the third category that I'm talking about, the minority category, is the honest cop. The honest cop will tell. And as a result of that honest cop telling, that honest cop is jeopardizing his or her own safety yeah, from their fellow officers. So how, 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 remember Yeah, say it. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, okay. What happens is, you know, they go, they go out on some, some dangerous thing and, and they need backup because they're in a shootout and they call for backup. Back, you know, other cops hear him. Oh, no, no, no. He snitched. I'm not going to help him I'm out. I'm not going to help. Yeah. Uh-uh. Exactly. And, what kind and, of brotherhood is that? Exactly. How strong is that? But what kind of yeah. brother? All blue lives matter. Right. Up to all lives, you know, all lives matter. Blue lives matter. If black lives matter, then blue lives matter. That shit was so fucking asinine to me. Because what sort of brotherhood would do that? That's not a brotherhood. I'm sorry. It's not a brotherhood. Listen, you know, just like, just like the Tea Party, just like the Klan, just like uh, the current uh, motto uh, for for the current um, uh, presidential administration. They, they, they say these things and, and they don't complete them. For example, the, uh, the, 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 current, the current administration's motto is make America great again, all right? And again is left up in the air to wonder when was again, right? Uh, you know, again might mean something different to black people than to white people. Uh, make America great again. Well, when was again? Was again when I was riding in the back of the bus, when I was drinking from a separate water fountain? I, that might be again to me. Uh, again for you might be back when gas was 30 cents a gallon and bread was 50 cents a loaf, okay? You, you, you always see, when you hear people talk about the good old days, you never hear black people mention the good old days. It's mm-hmm. always a white person mentioning the good old days. That's right. Because when the good old days were good, it wasn't so good for us, all right? Now, so uh, that, you know, anybody who runs for president is going to say, you, me, anybody else is going to say, I'm going to make America great. But somebody said, I'm going to make America great again. You know, that, that, that called a certain ilk of people. Just like uh, back in uh, 2008 or whatever, when the Tea Party all of a sudden appeared out of nowhere, their motto was, take our country back. We're going to take our country back. We're going to take America back. Um, that was a Klan motto. That was a Klan mantra from 1954 when Brown versus the Board of Education desegregated schools. You can go on YouTube, see all these rallies where the Klan is speaking and saying, we're going to take our country back. I'm not going to let my little white boys and girls go to school with little niggers. We're going to take our country back, meaning back to segregation. All right? So now, why would 2008 Tea Party be using a, 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 a motto, a mantra from 1954 by the Klan? Because their, their motto was, 
we're going to take America back, take our country back. I asked Tea Party people, I said, why do you say that? You know, that's a, a racist mantra. Oh, no, 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 Darrow, it's, it's not racist. Well, what do you mean? You don't, you, you don't say who you're going to take our country back from. You don't say what you're going to take our country back to. Oh, well, what we mean is this. We're going to take it back from the Democrats. We're going to take it back to Republican rule. Okay, that's fine. Say that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, I have no problem with that. The last time we heard of a Tea Party was back in 1776 in Boston. <laughs> right? Okay, so now, and now all of a sudden you come with a Tea Party and you're going to take something back. Um, but here's what's interesting. If, if, if you're going to take it back from the Democrats, then say that. If you're going to take it back to Republican rule, I got no problem. Say that. But here's the thing. Jimmy Carter was a Democrat. Bill Clinton was a Democrat. Where was the Tea Party? Where was Take Our Country Back? Yeah. All of a sudden, the black guy gets in the White House, and now you want to take the country back. So it has a different connotation, right? So you know, these are things now. So my whole point is this. The police motto all the way across the country, from New York to L.A., you know, from Bangor, Maine to New Orleans, the police motto is to serve and what? Protect. That's right. To serve and protect. Notice, they don't say to serve who and protect who. You assume it's the community in which they serve. That's right. But they say to serve and protect. Oftentimes, it's to serve and protect each other themselves. It, I, I, man, so I, I have a question. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, take it back to when and when, when was it a, a good time for black people? So in, in your opinion, is there a time that stands out that was the best time? Or is that now? Is that in the past? Uh, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I would say it's now. You know, you, know? Even, you know, I mean, I'm an optimist, okay? I would say it's now because, number one, um, black people did not put Obama in the White House. Sure no. didn't. Huh? Say sure right. didn't. White people did, okay, because we only make up 12% of the population. Yeah. So 20 years ago, 20 years ago, Obama or any black person could never have won the White House because white attitudes were not at a point where they were willing to vote for a black person, all right? By 2008, attitudes had changed to a certain, at least enough, that there were enough white people who were going to join enough black people to vote for Obama. So I would say that was, that was a good time, all right? That was a good time. Um, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. And why do I say it's so good right now? Because even though there has been an uptick in, uh, in racism in our country, racism has always been here, okay? Yeah. Donald Trump did not invent racism. Neither did Obama, neither did Bush or Clinton. You know, after Obama, there was a lot of racism because people couldn't get over the fact that black guys in the White House. With Donald Trump, there's been an uptick in racism. But neither of those guys uh, invented it. It's always been here. Uh, certain things trigger people to come out of the closet and start acting up. Now, it's a good time right now because there is so much and we know who it is. And now we're, we're beginning to confront it. We should have confronted this stuff a long time ago. Okay, now it's coming to the surface. Like he was saying, you know, if you don't address it at the time, it just festers and festers 
and then it explodes. Right now, it's exploding. We yeah. have to address this. And I'm going to tell you what the media is not telling people. Here's the thing. When I'm 61 years old, when I was a child, the black population in this country was 12%. Native Americans, just under 1%. And you can go on, on uh, look up the U.S. Census and follow it. And you see what I'm talking about, okay? On just under 1%. Hispanic people, 2 and 3%. Um, uh, Asian people, 4%, all right? And whites were like 84, 86%. So if, if there was a racist mentality, the, the, their biggest nemesis, of course, were black people at 12%. That's way mm -hmm. too much. You yep. know, they didn't care anything about 1% Native American. The attitude was just stick them on the reservation and forget about them, all right? Let's focus on this 12%. All right, so now, today, in 2000. 19, black people remain at 12%. We've not grown, all right? Native Americans remain at 1%. Uh, Asians have grown to 6%. Hispanics have, sur have surpassed us. They've grown to like 13%. So if you take just 12% black plus 13% Hispanic, that right there, 12 and 13, is 25% non-white, not to mention the 6% Asians and whoever else, all right? So you're seeing this happen. And they predict rather accurately that by 2042, 23 years from now, this country will be 50-50. white, 50% non-white. Now, there are a lot of white people who embrace that, say, hey, that's cool, that's evolution, that's what happens. I welcome that. And there are a lot who, who are very disconcerted about that. Because when you have sat on the throne of power for 400 years, you don't want to see your throne legs get whittled down and now your butt's being lowered down to the level of the inferior people, right? So this country was built on a two-tier society, white supremacy and slavery. And as we progressed through the years, this did not happen. It moved up like this. And okay. these people are not going to come down and help those people up. And when these people try to get up, these people step on their head and push them back down. All right? So now, through, um, through people coming in, immigration, et cetera, is the, the shift is happening like this. And 2042 is going to be like this. One or two generations after, it's going to flip. For the first time in U.S. history, whites have become the minority. And as I said, there are plenty of whites who welcome that. They understand that evolution. But there are those who do not, and they're becoming very disconcerted. And that is why, that is why we are seeing an uptick in racism. It doesn't matter who is president, okay? It could be Joe Blow, it could be anybody. We're gonna see, that, that shift is going to happen, okay? Trump stirs it up a little bit, but it, is, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. And so that's why these groups are, are starting to... to pop up and, and, and try recruiting and all this kind of stuff. They say, come join us. We're going to take our country back. We're going to build that wall. We, you know, we, we're going to get rid of all these illegal immigrants and blah, 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 blah. All right? So people go and join that because their landscape is changing. You know? They're, you know, they're, they're looking around, and they don't see anybody who looks like them, and they're freaking out. So they go and join these groups to take our country back. But then when the group doesn't do anything, they get frustrated. They say, you know what? 
if the Klan can't do it and the neo-Nazis can't do it, I'll do it myself. And they walk into a black church, boom, 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 or into a synagogue, boom, 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 or go down to El Paso, Texas, boom, 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 okay? These are called lone wolves, all right? Now, we have intelligence agencies that can infiltrate the groups because they, they dress like them, you know, fit right in. Of course, in. right. Yeah, and they get that intelligence and we foil those plots. But you cannot infiltrate a lone wolf. It's only one person. Yeah. And as we yeah. get closer and closer to 2042, we're going to see more and more of these lone wolves. That's what makes this shit so fucking dangerous. Now, ha- have you noticed every time one of these lone wolves get, gets uh, busted and they go and raid his house, he has a stockpile of automatic weapons? Exactly. That's what it's for. Yeah. I, it, like, listen, it's, so, it's simple. It, it really is that simple. When you're in power and you've got somebody coming up, you have to, you're going to do what it takes. The more and more you see them rise, the more and more dangerous, the more and more firepower, the more and more, we, no, we cannot have, we cannot have this. It's so simple. I'm going to do my best Daryl Davis uh, uh, interpretation right now, okay? Using, again, sports. If you're a sports fan, if you're an NBA fan, the Golden State Warriors uh, came out of nowhere and they dominated the league for every bit of the past four, four years, okay? Four years, the Golden State Warriors dominated the NBA. And LeBron in, in Cleveland uh, was the king. And after they lost, after their seventh, 73 and, 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 and nine season, it they were a juggernaut. And they lost to LeBron James. He said, you know what? We need more firepower. We can't have we, – we need more. If we're going to stay on top, we need more. I mean, that is simple. That is, that, that's not hard to understand yeah. if you have some semblance of, uh, of intelligence. What do, we need, what do we need to do to stay on top? We don't want to look at, at it like that. We don't want to look at racism like that. We don't want to look at the power of the, the country like that. But that's what it is. The 1% of the country, listen, Tim, I, I don't know the exact number of the amount of people in the United States. White people cannot have 6% of black people be billionaires in the United States. That's a fucking problem. Okay, that, that is a problem. Everybody can't be a billionaire in the United States. I don't even. I, I couldn't even quantify what that would look like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I was a billionaire and you were a billionaire and 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 Daryl was a billionaire, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. <laughs> like, like we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. It is a very dangerous. Daryl's right. Before twenty, if we think shit is fucked up now, get ready because it's only getting re- the darkness is before the dawn. If if light is at the end of this tunnel, this is a fight. The equality is a fight. We say, oh, we're fighting for equality, and it's very tongue-in-cheek to me. People don't understand what a fight is. A fight is not, like, when uh, you watch a boxing match. You say, oh, you know, uh, 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 
De La Hoya is fighting Felix Trinidad. I'm, I'm a boxing enthusiast, so I'm a, De La Hoya is fighting Felix Trinidad. It's a fight going on this weekend. You're coming in there expecting a fight, not a beatdown, not an assault, and it may end up that way, but both parties are going in there understanding that both sides are going to take some infliction of pain, some damage yeah. to both sides. That's what it's that that is what is expected this balance that minorities are fighting for i think a lot of us uh and daryl you could you could uh uh you know uh, counteract my statement i think a lot of us don't realize that there are going to be casualties in this fight as there are in any in any fight yeah. you're good there, there's going to be pain inflicted it's called collateral damage. Collateral damage. But, but how do you how do you think that we could go about that in to to reduce the damage by doing by doing exactly what you guys are doing right now, exposing it, getting it out there to your audience. Now, yeah, and I commend you all for it. With with that being said, I you know it dawned on me the other day, and by by no means at all is this a slide at you, but I noticed that. Like, as far as social media goes, um, you know, looking at, like, going through YouTube and looking for videos of you, uh, your, your, your news spots, uh, you know, and anything to do with you, uh, your, your social media following isn't that big. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, say, random white guy who is going against the KKK is going to have this massive following. Mm-hmm. Uh, most everything that has a big following, though, is the, the whatever's going to get the most attention is negativity. Of course. Neg- negativity is getting the most attention. Uh, yes. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion. This is going to be, you know, conspiracy theorist in me. But do you think that your audience isn't broadened or you're not um, – like your your content isn't spread as far as it could be because it doesn't fit the separatist agenda as um meaning like it you know the the if it bleeds it leads well this doesn't bleed this is bringing us together and as we mentioned earlier you know how do you how do you stop the movement you 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 divide and conquer uh which you know you have which I'm going to get to later uh you, you've got antifa you've got all the other movements um, that just it's nothing but bad press. So do you think that any of that has to do with the fact that you're trying to do the right thing? Do you think that you're being stifled at all? You know, I, I really don't know, but I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, ne- you know, negative press gets a lot more attention than, you know, than, than, than good stuff. Um, you know, that, you know, things that are sensational, usually negative, is all over the place. Um, you know, I, I'm not out there doing stuff and trying to get press. Um, I've been doing this kind of stuff for 30 years. I'm not a Johnny-come-lately who just jumped on this race bandwagon. I mean, you know, you can look at pictures of me in the KKK, and you see I'm 100 pounds thinner, got more hair. So I've been at it for 30 years. And, and you know, so... And I didn't get into it really to um, to to get press or be known as something like that 
isn't isn't that fell into my lap? No, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I, I'm saying that like you, you would think that something like this would fall into the algorithm for yeah, people. Yeah, but it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's oh, not no, no. it's not falling into the algorithm to bring it up to the top oh, or, yeah. or anything like that. Well, he's playing a dangerous game. Yeah, and I don't mean like, and I don't uh, uh, forgive me for 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 saying it like that. Not that you're playing a game no, I got in, it. In, in 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 any aspect. Um, what I mean is, what he's doing is disrupting the natural order. Yeah, of things. Well, no, I actually I think it's quite the opposite. I don't think he's disrupting the. Net. I think he's. You're, you're promoting to a particular group is you're, what you're, I mean. You're promoting the natural order because, in my opinion, which I, I could be pretty fucking ignorant at times, and this might be one of them. But if you look at the the average people, you see everybody getting along. And if you, but this comes back to the media, to where if you watch the media, it's nothing but everybody fucking hates everybody. But while well, well, yeah, while, the media while, has an agenda. While I'm at work, while I'm at the store, while and you know, I again, I I could be sheltered. I I don't know, uh, but I, you know, all the black guys at work get along with all the white guys at work, uh, uh, and you know, in the store for the most part, like courtesy is 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 lost amongst, uh, you know, most well, of the population. But in in most cases, it it seems like there's more people in person. There's more people in person trying to get along than there are than 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 there is what the media portrays as everybody's trying to until something happens though. Yeah. That that's that's the true test. To... Well, well were, were people getting along at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas, uh a couple months ago? Right. Yeah, until something happens. Yeah. Like I I feel what you're saying and it is true. We it's it's learning to it, to a certain degree we have learned uh, a, 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 a decent amount of the population have learned to coincide with each other and to be polite and to be kind. Oh, yeah, I could. Like, I mean, we, like you said, we did come a long way. We have a long way to go. I mean, we're talking about equality here. Listen, 50, 60 years ago, there's no way in hell I could just walk into a restaurant in the south and be served no don't don't take don't take that as i'm not i'm not saying equality wise i'm just saying like as far as mutual respects go yeah yeah no that's what i mean like yeah it's a mutual we're, respect i, I think, I think we're, we're kind of like in middle ground right now um first we have intolerance where no, you know you, you you will not i will not serve you in my restaurant you will not drink from the same water fountain you know, right. it, I'm intolerant of you. Yeah. Um, and then we fight, fight, and we get tolerance. Okay, well, okay, you know, you, you know, you can live here, but you know, I'm not going to hire you to work at to work at my place. You know, that kind of right. stuff. So I'm, right. I'm going to be tolerant of you. Yeah. So now, so we're we're kind of there right now, uh, almost at the end of that. But what we what we should be striving for is acceptance. Completely you know? agree. I mean, and it's it's not just a racial thing. I mean, it's it's in many, many different degrees. Yeah. Technologically, technologically, we are the greatest country in the world, right? You know, we put men on the moon. We we've done all kinds of stuff. Um, but ideologically, we're kind of backwards. Ass backwards. Ass backwards. 
because, because you know, when when back in 2008, we had uh, Obama, we had Hillary Clinton, we had uh, Mitt Romney, uh, and a bunch of other people, you know, running for president. And every time you turn on the news, I don't care what station it was, it was, can a black man be president? Can a Mormon be president? Can a woman be president? Who cares what religion, what gender, what color they are? I just want to know, can we have a president that can run the country? But we're more concerned about the color, the gender, and the religion. And if you remember back in, in, in 1961 or whatever, um, everybody was concerned about John F. Kennedy. Can a Catholic be president? He was the first cap, Catholic yeah. president. People were like freaking out. Now look, so now this is us, the, te- the technologically advanced country, worrying about somebody's gender, uh, race, and, um, and uh, religion. However, we criticize these third world countries. Uh, somebody, I think, called them shitholes, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, all right? And, but yet, but yet, but yet, but yet, many of these so-called shitholes have female presidents, have That's female right. prime ministers. So ideologically, they are a lot further advanced than we are. We may be technologically advanced, but they are ideologically advanced. They're not worried about somebody's gender, uh, religion, or color. They just want somebody to run their country. The right way. The I, right way. Watch, watch this. And I know I'm hitting a lot with these sports analogies, but I'm a huge <laughs> sports fan. I was watching... Uh, th- th- this was uh, three three weeks ago, Saturday morning, uh, on CNN. They were having a conversation about the University of Northern Dame's mascot, which is the leprechaun, being an African American. How the hell? That that that's. They were discussing: is is it okay for the University of Northern Dame mascot? leprechaun which is a leprechaun to be an african-american are you saying the costume or the person inside the, the it, it it it's uh, i guess you could say it's a costume but he's he's literally just dressed uh you know as a leprechaun you know he has on oh, a fedora see, I, see, I'm, I'm sorry I, I don't watch that much college and i'm right. thinking i'm thinking the normal giant no, mascot no suit. But, but that's that's the thing Listen, we sitting here talking about it happening in the presidency, and hell, it's an uproar about a mascot in college. I mean, Hollywood just dealt with it with the Black Stormtrooper in Star Wars. Star Wars fans, oh, we are, I, did, I thought y'all loved the movie. I didn't know you guys were racially inclined in Star Wars because there were no black people. Yeah. You're upset because it's a Black Stormtrooper? Hey, <laughs> you get oh that's not authentic and that's no we well, I guess, I guess Star they, Wars back again. Are you fucking shitting me? It's they, a stormtrooper. They never heard of they never heard of black Irish. Right, they never heard of black Irish. But that's that is exactly that's what is going on. So hell, if we can't get a if we can't get a goddamn mascot, my god, a president? <laughs> Holy shit, a female president. Yeah. How asinine of an idea is that? We're not ready. I worked. <laughs> I I was I worked at a chemical plant, um, uh, and I was trying to 
you had to take a test within the chemical plant to become a chemical operator in a different uh, section of the plant. And it was, uh, I was warned before I took the test. I took the test, I passed it, and I got accepted over there. And the assistant plant manager, which was a female, uh, brought me into her office and said, I want to talk to you uh, before you go over there tomorrow and, and, you know, start your new position. Um, she was white, but she informed me, she said, there are a bunch of good old boys over there. There are a bunch of good old boys. Uh, environmental uh, knowledge is not something that's known to your community as a job, as a career, and they have a certain mentality over there. And I just want you to be prepared for that. Why should you have to prepare yourself for that? Now, I mean, now, uh, listen, I, grew, uh, I was born in Blue Island, Illinois. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, 122nd and State Street. Uh, 533rd. Word? Oh, man, I see. I knew that. Me and Daryl family. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, we moved to uh, northwest Indiana, uh, 1991. And I remember it was my family. Uh, my father's a pastor uh, in Gary. Gary is predominantly black, but Maryville at that time was predominantly white. And my predominantly, I mean, the elementary school I went to, it was myself and another uh, a black kid in the class. And then I found out that it was only six black families living in Maryville at that specific time. And we stayed on the borderline. I learned, or I grew, I grew up diverse early. I saw racism at an early age. I didn't know what I was experiencing, but because, you know, I'm within a black family, I'm hearing about this person's racist, this, that, and other, yada, yada, yada. It, I was introduced to it at an early age, but I also thought it was incredibly stupid. Yeah. I thought it was dumb because when you're a child, I, I know my friend Alan Wright was white, but he's Alan to me, that's you know, what, and I was daring, I was daring to him. Like, that's what it was. There well, was no I, racism I think, amongst think, the children. I it was think, taught to us. I think the, well, that's absolutely right. Uh, which I, I talked to you about that uh, Before. Last, last time that, yeah. that, that we got together. But I, I, I honestly think that uh, the best story that I've ever heard about, learning about racism as a child is from Daryl Davis and his experience with the Boy Scouts. Oh man, that was crazy. You know, that's, that was crazy. I mean, uh, growing, you know, growing up for a short time overseas and coming back and not, not knowing anything about it and then experiencing it like that. That's, uh, you know, that's, it, it, it's powerful and it speaks to the mentality of children that, you know, the, the basis that it is taught and it's not, hereditary you know it's it, it's it's that fact like you know so daryl last time me and uh me and coffee got together uh it was actually just a couple weeks after i had uh, a, an interesting day um you know we, we were at meyer and i found a bottle of blanton's which was uh which was a nice score uh, <laughs> but uh when we were leaving there was uh, a child getting scolded by his mom and 
my son looked up at my son my son just turned four so he has he has no idea of racism or or anything like that but you know he asked me he said daddy what what is that brown boy you know why is he in trouble and like me and my wife looked at each other it's like oh shit you know how do we how do we hint like how do we how do we go about telling it's like all right he's just being descriptive uh there there's no racial connotations there at all but it's like all right so now how do we how do we explain to him all right yeah obviously just being descriptive but you know and in his mind still he's just the same as anybody else just uh just a different shade so you know i I was talking to coffee about you know how 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 should somebody go about that uh in in raising their kids and explaining it to them the correct way like how how do you feel would be the correct way to explain to a child that yes obviously he looks a little bit different but you shouldn't say that um I don't know if I would say you shouldn't say that because I, I don't want to scold him, but let him come to the conclusion that he shouldn't say that. Just say he's just as different as, as anybody else. Like, like your four-year-old probably has friends who have a different hair color than him. Maybe he has a little blonde friend uh, or different eye color uh, who, or who wears different clothes. You know, like you're wearing a blue shirt, he's wearing a maroon shirt. Uh, you know, say, so, hey, you know, you know people... People come in all different shapes, just like a rainbow. You know, you know let's say that, uh, rather than say, you know, don't say that, because then he thinks he's in trouble for something, and he really didn't mean to, to be derogatory or racist. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, cha- I wouldn't chastise him, but, no. you know, but, but put it in a, in a way that he probably won't say it again. Like, you know, hey, you know, people have different hair color. People have, wear different clothes. People have different eye eye color, like you, like your mommy and I. Look look at our eyes. Yeah. She has blue eyes. I have green eyes. You know, whatever. You know, people have different color skin. That's all. So, uh, I mean, with that being said, like that's, I mean, I, I for one, I mean, we never told him not to say that, but we, you know, just didn't know how to how to go about it. Um, and you know, definitely always looking for for uh, you know, opinions and whatnot. I but had this little this little girl. Uh, this uh, sheriff's deputy a few years ago ran into her in a, in a restaurant near my house. And uh, she was out with her family and stuff. And she's a friend of mine. And uh, I didn't know her family. But anyway, um, her little niece, uh, which was her and her brother and his wife were out. And, and her niece was with them. And this girl couldn't have been more than two or something. And anyway, um, they were like finishing up when I came in. And so they were like leaving and uh, she saw him, hey, Daryl, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And we're talking. And the little niece kind of like hid behind her father's leg and held onto his leg and like peeping around looking at me. And like, you know, a kid seeing a stranger, not quite sure. Mm-hmm. This might have been the first time she ever saw a black stranger, I'm not sure. But anyway, she was like peeping at me. And I'm talking with, uh, with her aunt and, uh, and her father. And then she like slowly lets go of his leg and walks over to me. My, my hands are hanging down by my sides. And she takes her finger and runs it across my hand like that and then looks at her finger. Oh, and, wow. I, and I said, no, baby, it doesn't come off. <laughs> <laughs> now, see that? You know, I mean, you can look at that at so many different angles. But uh-huh. in, in, in my opinion, that has got to be 
I, I, I would think that that would have to be one of the cutest things to see in one aspect, you know, but I mean, I obviously don't know what it was like to be in your shoes. I mean, well, uh, you know, I mean, of course, you know, uh, the, the uh, deputy w- was embarrassed. And so it's her father, you know, the, the little kid's father, but there was nothing to be embarrassed about, you know, ki- kids it's, are kids like that. Yeah. It's, it's, that, curiosity. it's innocence. Yeah. It, it's, exactly. it's, innocent, it's, it's innocent, innocent curiosity. That, that's all it is. But you, you like, I'll tell you where, as you get older, though, how we we feel just generally, as you get older, humanistically, we feel like you should know better. I was working at a job. Uh, this was 2003. I was working at a call center. And it was a young lady in there from downstate Indiana. And... Um, She looked at, uh, I was sitting there, you know, doing phone calls or whatever. And uh, I heard her say, I guess she was off a call and she said, excuse me, um, can I touch your hair? Oh, yeah, I get that too. She's speaking to a young lady and she said, what? And she was like, can I touch your hair? It was a white girl asking a, a black woman if she could touch her hair. She was like, the fuck? What are you talking about? She was like, no, you can't touch my hair. She was like, oh, no, 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 I, di- I didn't mean it like that. I grew up downstate Indiana, and I moved up here to live with my aunt and uncle. This chick was 22 years old. And she goes, I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen a black person in person. The community I grew up in, there were no black people around. The only black people I saw was on tv Uh uh-huh and since i moved up here it was like culture shock to me because they were driving around they were at gas stations and i was like so like mesmerized that i I, like she she openly admitted she was like like my grandfather my dad there was a racist they are racist i know they are they said so many bad things about them i I remember uh, laughing because she actually said she was like like i remember them really hating michael jordan and like like really and he's like he's not as great as people say and i was just like (laughs) and so the uh uh, I don't remember her name, but but the, the, the African-American young lady at the time, she was like, yeah, go ahead. She was like, she touched her hair and she she touched her skin. She was like, it's no different than mine. And I, I this is happening, mind you, this is happening on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. It is about 1.30 on a Saturday afternoon, and I'm sitting here watching this shit I think they I should have been fired that day because I stopped taking calls. I was like, this shit is unreal. Like I, I couldn't fucking believe what I was witnessing. But and I say that to say, for me, it was culture shock in the reverse way. I never thought about at that time growing up. I had just graduated high school. I didn't think about uh okay, so there's uh 
areas in the United States where there's not at yeah. least one black person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sundown towns, man. Yeah, but I remember <laughs> back to high school, uh, my psychology and sociology teacher, Mr. Nichols, said the town that he grew up in, graduated from, and he came up to Northwest Indiana to teach. He said, when I walked into this school, I went to go into Maryville High School, which is integrated and diverse. Uh, he said, I was so shocked because I had never seen an like this many black kids in the school before. I'd never been around this many black people. He was like, I am not at all racist and this, that, and other. And I remember the few kids in the class, they were like, the fuck? That was some racist <laughs> shit right there. What do you mean? And I was like, hey, everybody calm down. So, <laughs> everybody so calm down. So now going back to the hair, on the contrary, I could honestly say, now, Coffee, you know what my hair looks like yeah, when I it do. gets long. Daryl, when my hair gets long, for one, I, I only cut my hair once a year. Uh -huh. I shave my head every year for St. Baldrick's. I raise money for childhood cancer research for uh, uh, St. Baldrick's. And when my hair gets long and I pick it out, I, I have quite the impressive afro for a white guy. Uh-huh. And I couldn't tell you how many times, just complete randomness, I've had black women come up to me and compliment me on my afro. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, just doing the little pat, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's there. It's, it's mine. It's natural. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, I've, I've never minded it at all, but. I you done your DNA test yet? No, no. <laughs> I, I want to. I, I was just getting ready to say the same thing. You I, beat me to it. I really want Darryl to. Darryl beat me to it. it as, as bad as it's going to sound, as bad as it's going to sound like I fit so many stereotypes, it's bad. No. Uh, yeah. No. But, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's always, like, it's always been amusing to me, but that's, I think that's the difference. It's amusing to me. It's. But offensive see, it, 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 it on is. the other side it is why it, do you want to do that but but again that stems from what what's taught. what's what's been the history yeah that yeah. stems yeah. from the history I, I i don't really get offended by it you know and, and i have it happen all the time too you know you know sometimes you know, women will want to touch my hair and stuff um you know just you know see what it is or whatever um I'm, I'm not offended by it. I'm, I'm happy to help them out, uh, but you know, but I do have a comeback for that. <laughs> what, what do you What do you say? What do you say? They ask if I can if, if they can touch my hair. I ask you know if I can touch their breasts. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's yeah. even Steven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, white breasts for black hair. So, <laughs> so, so how does that how does that go with uh, today's social justice movement? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think you know at first you know they're shocked, but then they realize, hey, you know. It's kind of a, a dumb statement, but I said, yeah. no, 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 go ahead and go for it. You know, I, I want you to feel it. Yeah. So, you know, touch it. But right. see, that's ignorance. I'm, I'm sorry. You guys keep going. I have to uh, go, go relieve some pressure. Uh, I do have a few more questions after that. So okay. Just to you guys, do you, want, do you want to take a break or do you guys want to keep going? I'm good. No, we, we, no, wait, I'm good. All right. I'm good. I'll, I'll be right back. I'm sorry. I'm good. <laughs> Uh, so Daryl, um, is that, is that James Dean behind you on the wall? Uh, uh, yes. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, right here. Yeah. Right here. Uh, no, this is, um, this is, uh, John Dillinger. 
Oh, okay. John hey, look, like, look like James Dean from. It, it, you know, yeah, from where from where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is uh, John Dillinger. Uh, yeah, we are out here in uh, not too far from Crown Point, Indiana, uh-huh. uh, where uh, if I, I mean I can go down John Dillinger's history, but I mean if anybody has seen uh, the movie with I think. Oh yeah, I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right, right. You know who he is. So and yeah, didn't they? Uh, didn't they like do a? Uh... They did a they did a, a, a depiction of him. Uh, I think Johnny Depp played him. Um, yeah, but I'm talking about they 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 also preserved a, a part of his uh, body in a jar. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like when I tell people about you, um, they are so specific, specifically black people. They are so enamored at what I've said. So I, I guess I'm, um, we're going back to earlier in the conversation. You like the work that you're doing because you are a musician. And like you said, this is not something that you like grew up like, yeah, you know what? Like you woke up one morning and was like, you know what? I'm getting ready to change some. I'm getting ready to change some whites and presses mine. Like I'm getting ready. You know, I'm getting ready. Like this. What you're doing is so profound, and a lot of people don't. I I feel like there should be no backlash from our community uh, towards you, from anybody in our community towards you specifically once you hear what you're doing mm-hmm. um and so when i hear like you know, like like the fact that you have to like explain yourself to the black lives matter movement or some people are upset oh what is he doing this that another uh, have you ever been discouraged in your journey no i never as, have as a, as a, as an activist no. Was there ever a moment where it was like, you know what? Like once you started doing it, and you're like, man, what? Did you ever question what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> like this shit. Do you ever? Is there ever a moment where you know nobody's around and uh, you sleep at night, and or you know you, you know you might be you know working on your music or whatever, and you just be like, you know, you're eating by yourself or you know you. I don't know, watching YouTube videos or, you know, whatever. And you just say to yourself, you ever have a moment like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Moment of clarity. (laughs) Yeah, like, this shit is crazy. (laughs) Like, is there ever a moment where your anxiety peaks? Like, are you a a cool and calm all the time? Like, yo, this is what we're doing. Yeah, pretty much cool and calm all the time because I get energized when I see the light bulb pop on in somebody else's head okay. and I see one of these guys make that connection, like, man, I have been wrong. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's what gets me charged up. And, and, and that keeps you fueled to yeah. go again and go again. Because uh, in our first conversation, you did say you have, you have met some uh, resistance. Some oh, absolutely. And, um, and you, of course you prevailed through it, but I just, you know, because 
me personally, uh, what you're doing is phenomenal and great. It's great. It's a necessity. And oftentimes, people, when they're in the presence of greatness, they tend to ask the person if they can that's whatever that whether it's uh, musicianship artistry whatever it may be do you understand do you have a do you really understand what you're doing everything you're doing is great you know when you're like uh, musicians and artists and and people that are that we herald as as geniuses or you know we we hold them in high regard there's always that one interview where it's like, do you understand like what you're doing, the history that you're leaving? And for me, the fact that granted on a social media presence as Brian uh, uh, elocuted that it's not as vast as he would think that it would be. Um, for me, it's like every, every, like I think about you. It's so crazy when Brian was like, Hey, yeah, uh, Daryl's geared up. He's ready to do round two, and I'm like, like that. That made my week. I was like, shit, yeah. Like this is gonna be the greatest, greatest fucking week ever. Like I need it this week. This is like a vacation for me to talk to Daryl Davis because I feel like when I talk about you and I go into conversations about what you're doing, they're not five minutes. They're not ten minutes. They tend to last for an hour or two, and the conversation gets rolling. Do you ever have that moment where you're by yourself and you be like, you know what? I'm the shit. Like, I'm the fucking man right now. And it may not feel like you're the man because of everything that you're going through, but you are literally historically changing. You are making, you are leaving your fingerprint on, on society, on our, our country, and just historically overall. I don't I've, I don't know anybody in history that has ever attacked. Listen to me. I'm not saying Martin Luther King didn't do anything great. I'm not saying Malcolm X didn't do anything great. I'm not saying uh, all our other great social warriors and social uh, justice war warriors have. I'm not selling anything that they're doing. But for you to go into the lion's den and say, no, 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 I'm not gonna do it from here. I'm gonna go right up in your area into the mental of said individual and have a conversation. You're not, people, understand, people that listen, Daryl's not strapping any of the, he's not kidnapping them, strapping them to a chair, making them watch black videos about the, he's not white, making them watch Hidden Colors. He's literally just having a conversation with them. That's it. Doing what we're doing now. Do you Speaking of uh, a video, I, I do have a funny story to tell you. It, it's, it's true. Uh, um, years ago, this uh, one uh, clan leader, his, um, his, his father uh, runs a, a portion of a, of a flea market. And so the uh, you know, open air flea market and stuff. So they get all kinds of stuff in there. And uh, one day he and I were out 
just, you know, talking and having lunch or whatever, talk, not the father, but the, the clan leader. And um, he asked me if, um, if, if, uh, if I wanted any, um, any, any pornographic videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I, I said no, not really. And, he, and um, I said, um, uh, you know, why? You know, your, 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 uh, your guys don't want them. And he goes, no, no, they're, they're, um, they're, uh, they're, they're black and white. What about some of your guys? When he said my guys, he means my, my band. And he said, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're black and white. So I said, oh, whoa. So now I'm thinking, okay, you know, this, this is going to be, you know, black and white porn is pretty rare. And uh, it's old time. You know, probably get a lot of money for it or whatever. You know, I'm not a porn collector, but I, I, I know, you know, you, you get black and white is, is more rare than color. Now, see, right. I, I was thinking of that a completely different angle. Yeah, well. You, you were thinking about interracial? Yeah. That's one of the I, biggest I memes thinking, on Facebook right now. I was, I was, thinking, I was thinking in terms of, of, of money. <laughs> and, um, and so he says, um, you know, no, no, my, my, um, my, my guys don't, don't, don't want the black and white stuff. So. Uh, he says, you know, what, you know, what about your guys, meaning my band? And I said, I don't know, I, I can ask him. So he, he gave me a trash bag, hefty trash bag, full of these tapes. And I think anything of it, threw them in the trunk of my car, brought them home. And when I, when I opened up the bag, I'm thinking it's some, some vintage stuff, you know, that yeah. I can pawn off on somebody for some money. It was interracial. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> That's dope. All right, so I, I, I just have to bring this up uh, because that's, it's kind of odd for me. But it, I, I just lit up this cigar. Uh, my, my first cigar with coffee. Uh, we both had uh, the absurd from um, uh, Titan to Bronze Factory uh, because I think that uh, I, I picked the absurd because I, I think racism is absurd. Um, but anyway, like I, so I just came back and I lit up this Ezra Zion Eminence, um, and I'm drinking a dirty little freak from Duclaw Brewing. But the reason I, the reason I had to bring it up, is uh, the when I lit the cigar, I, I just took a drink of my beer, I lit the cigar, and it tasted like fucking s'mores, which blew my mind. Now, getting back to the conversation, when I came back, when I came back, you were talking about music. And, um, you know, as I said at the beginning, the beginning of the first episode, I let you know that I, I didn't do much research on you. Um, you know, I did listen to your, your music that I could find on Spotify. And, you know, I, I liked it. I could see the talent. The, the music itself was it didn't like hit me. Uh, but when I watch videos now that I've done research on you, uh, when I watch the videos of you playing with, with other people and, or just, just putting on a show, like, I think the videos do you so much more justice than listening to what's available on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you. But I, I just had to throw that out there while I was thinking about it. Uh, porn threw me off. <laughs> That's a uh, great story. That is a, that so, is a great story. Um, I, I did have a couple more questions. Uh, you know, I, 
I, I don't know what you guys talked about. I hope I, I hope I listen back and uh, hear something informational or entertaining or both. Um, but one of the questions that I wanted to get to was I referenced it earlier. I said I'd bring Antifa back into this. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been called every name in the book. White supremacist. <laughs> White supremacist has got to be one of the most interesting. I guess, yes, I indeed. So re- recently, Antifa decided to label you as a white supremacist how is that possible and that's my question like how how can how can they manage to to do that and think that you maybe want to explain to the people what antifa is uh anti-fascist uh i don't know from from what i see of them uh they're they're (laughs) they're they're dumbasses uh screaming nazi scum at some white lady trying to cross the street uh, old, old white lady, I should say, um, and causing a whole lot of trouble that doesn't need to be had. They're, they're one of the groups that gets the, uh, the media attention that they shouldn't. Um, but that's ignorance though. They haven't, that, that's ignorance and unintelligence. That's ignorance and unintelligence. Yeah. You, that's, you haven't to call this man a white supremacist. You don't know his agenda at all. Yeah, you it it, it doesn't. You learn his agenda in less than three minutes. So my my question is between Antifa calling you a white supremacist and a situation that has been since rectified, um, you know, as in Baltimore, like how how does that how does that affect you? Again, like I said, Baltimore's been. been dealt with i guess uh been uh been handled uh but antifa calling you a white supremacist uh how did how does that how does that affect my ass off yeah it was funny to me um yeah and i mean you know you say antifa and antifa is it's again it's not a centralized organized thing people all over the country and none of them you know are on the same page either um (laughs) What happened was there's a, a great organization called uh, Minds, M-I-N-D-S, like your mind, Minds.com. And they are a new um, uh, platform where people can come to talk and chat and discuss all kinds of things. Uh, feel, you know, they're, they're very focused on uh, freedom of speech and that kind of thing. Uh, it's not out to be racist or anything like that. But everybody is welcome to come and talk and express their views as long as you know they're not attacking other people, and it's designed to more or less de-radicalize you know the internet. Um, and so these guys have put together a a panel to bring different people together: conservatives, liberals, Trump supporters, non-Trump supporters, etc. And I was invited to to be on the panel, and so. They had rented a theater. They had contracted to use this theater in uh, Pittman, New Jersey. This is uh, just a couple months ago. And um, Antifa decided that, you know, everybody was there was going to be a Nazi or a KKK person. And so they called the uh, theater and said, if the theater allowed these people to meet there, uh, they were going to burn it down. So um, the, organi- the, the theater canceled the contract. So the organizers had had to shuffle around and get another venue at the last minute, 
and you know didn't let anybody know where it was until the last minute, of course, uh, so that way it would be protected. And then the after party was held um, right down the road from the theater at a, at a bar, at a brewery. So we did the conference, very successful, very great. You know, th th there were no white supremacists there and like that. There were people who had their views. There were people there with Trump hats on. But everybody got along. You know, it, it was there to talk about how we can have civil discourse without attacking one another. That's what it was about. Yeah. So uh, very successful. And then we went to the after party, and uh, Antifa was across the street. And the police had blocked off the streets. You couldn't drive there because they'd been threatening violence. And as people were coming in, they were, you know, yelling and screaming, you know, uh, uh, KKK's got to go, and, you know, uh, no, no fascist USA, KKK, got to go, all that kind of stuff. And there was nobody there who was fascist, nobody there who was KKK. Uh, I would know if there were, trust me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so um, uh, <clears throat> I was being interviewed, and somebody asked me, you know, what I thought about what was going on across the street. I said, listen, go over there, I said, and ask the, uh, the leader of the group to come over, to come over and, and join us. You know, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll let him speak, you know, join the party. It's an after party. He's welcome to come. And in fact, I knew, I knew him. I knew, you know, one of these guys. And so um, a couple of guys went over there and the leader said, no, he didn't want to come. And as the guys are coming back across the street, one of the other people, uh, they, they uh, kept saying, you know, there's a bunch of white supremacists in there. And, um, and one said, no, you know, uh, uh, Daryl Davis is in there. You know, meaning, you know, you know, he's a black guy, right? Me. And the guy said, well, yeah, well, he's a white supremacist. <laughs> so uh, when the guy came back and told me that, I just laughed and laughed. Because, I mean, you know, if you're going to attack me and all you got left is to call me a white supremacist, you've lost that battle. Oh, yeah, yeah it's over. Yeah. It's over. It's, it's absolutely over. Quick, quick question, Daryl. I uh, want to take it back um, to something before Brian had left. I don't I, Forgive me, I don't know if you expounded on it or not, but are you, Brian talked about um, the lack of popularity in what you're doing. Let's say between now and 2020 spring, the interviews that you've done have popped okay. and, and, and the interviews, the documentary, the book, you as an activist really like pops and what you're doing is, has a, a huge light on it, shined on it. Okay. Is that scary for you? No. Do, do, do you feel with what, after what Malcolm did, after what Martin did, they could make no mistake, they, those were assassinations. Yeah. Do you fear, is there, any, is there ever a moment in what you're doing that, I mean, besides like the obviously physically being among, with somebody who hates you? They don't know you, but they hate you, they hate your skin, they hate your presence. Well, you know, but I, is there ever a fear, though, in what you're just doing? Like, because... Yeah. because 
There's, not a, there's not a fear. There's a risk. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do get threats from time to time. People email me anonymously and things like that and say all kinds of crap. They, 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 they quote my address in their email. I mean, I can go on the internet, spend enough time. I can get your address and his address. Oh, yeah, cool. You know? I mean, I'll, uh, I'll give so, it to you, you know, if you want it. People do that kind of stuff and say they're coming to get me and all that nonsense. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there are people out there who are trying to, you know, use uh, scare tactics. And I'm sure there are some idiots out there who, you know, would, maybe would like to do something. Uh, but you know what? It's a risk you take. It's a risk you take. And, you know, you just got to be, be careful, be vigilant, um, keep your eyes open. But uh, you know what? As long as change is happening, I'm going to keep on doing it. Hey, have, have you been investigated yet by the FBI? I'm sure. <laughs> they, they, they haven't knocked on my door, but I'm sure they got a file. I, I'm, I'm, I would like to think that you have a file on you. Oh, I'm sure. In, in, in some government agency somewhere. If Marcus Garvey had one, I'm sure... Daryl Davis has one. I, I, like, and that's what I mean. Like the the unforeseen. Yeah, like you like you commented on the lone wolves. Yeah, the lone wolves. Who is this guy trying to change? What the fuck? Oh hell no! Those you know, guys- anytime you do something that is unconventional, um, like you know, to answer you know Brian, um, you know what what I do is unconventional. I wish I wish it was the convention. I'll tell you what, the, the oldest and largest gang in this country has been the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Right? That one time, you know, and Indiana had, had the highest number of Klan's people at one time, yeah. the state of Indiana. All right. Um, overall, there have been 4 million people. Now, it's nowhere near that today. But at one, in, in its height, there were 4 million. Um, so it, it has been the largest gang, uh, terrorist gang in our, in our country. Um, anytime, you know, and, and they've been around since 1865, not 1965, yeah. 1865. So obviously conventional methods have not worked. You know, we're in 2019, still talking about it, right? So, yep. so conventional methods have not worked. Right. So when you, so maybe it's time to be a little unconventional. And uh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, not intentionally, I'm doing it for what I know. And I, I, I've been around the world. I've been around the world several times. And I just visited my 57th country last week. Uh, I've, been, I've been to 57 countries on six continents. I lived in Africa for 10 years. I lived in Europe. I've been to many, many countries in between on other continents. And at the end, you know, I've seen a multitude of religions, ethnicities, nationalities, cultures, etc., And all of that has helped shape who I've become. And at the end of the day, what I found out is everybody that I've encountered, no matter what part of the earth I've visited, they all were human beings. And, um, you know, one of my very favorite quotes of all time is by Mark Twain. And it's called the travel quote. And Mark Twain said, Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. And that is so true. And, you know, I realize it, it, 
all that travel does not make me a better person than anybody else, any of these white supremacists or anything like that. It makes me a little more uh, worldly, a little, a little, have a little more broad knowledge of people. So I realize that many of these people will never travel as extensively as I have. So maybe I can use another quote, which is, you know, if you can't take Muhammad to the mountain, you bring the mountain to Muhammad. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. So vicariously, maybe I can give them some of that exposure to what they don't see by being in their presence and interacting with them and, and letting, them, letting them have that exposure to something different. Because a lot of these people don't travel. They don't even travel out of their own state. Out of their own state, out of their own town. Exactly. Precisely. Out of their own town. Yeah. So I have to ask, um, you've got uh, quite, the, quite the picture collection behind your left shoulder. And I'm, I'm curious what all of those pictures are. Well, the ones right here are pictures of me and KKK people. A little further back well, are pictures of me with different um, people that I've worked with. Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, B.B. King, okay. people like that. Yeah, that's I, I kind of figured that, that that it was along those lines. But yeah, I, I just noticed the 40 pictures or so on, on the far wall. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, uh, hey, Daryl, um, I want to do a little, I don't know. I don't know what Brian had in store. I, I know we, we round in the bending and, and on this last 100-meter stretch. Wanted to, I, who is your favorite musician? I got a lot of them, but right off the bat? Yeah, right off the bat. Who's your favorite musician? Who influences you? Like, who does Daryl Davis listen to after a hard day of talking to a white supremacist? Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Now, I have a lot of influences. Pine Top Perkins, Johnny Johnson, Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, a lot of them. Now, my hero of all time, uh, I got a lot of those too, but uh, probably one of my biggest is Evil Knievel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I, I know that surprised you all. Surprising. Yeah. All right. So now let me explain that to you. All right. I love Evil Knievel. Evil Knievel defied death. Evil Knievel died on his own terms. Mm. Okay. Everything mm. Evil Knievel did was deadly. All right, jumping over cars, jumping over the river, the, the canal, the, the whatever, Snake River Canyon, all that kind of crap. Um, he defied death. He broke yeah. every bone in his body, and death did not take him. He died of natural causes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dope. So dope. he is my hero. That's dope. Okay, he yeah. died on his own terms. Def right? def definitely surprising, definitely understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chuck Berry, um, Chuck Berry was a genius. Anybody, and a lot of people can say, hey, I play guitar, I sing, I wrote a song. You know, other people have sang my songs or whatever. But not many people can say, I invented a genre of music. Exactly. That man invented rock and roll. Without Chuck, there would be no Elvis Presley, no Beatles, no Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, uh, Ted Nugent, Elton John, Metallica, Jimi Hendrix. Anybody who plays rock music, all of their DNA. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You can't there. throw Uncle Ted into that mix. Yes, I, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got a, I got a picture of me and Ted. 
kid playing my guitar on a gig. No, that, that's just me being a smart ass. <laughs> yeah. But no, actually, you know, Ted Nugent loves Chuck Berry. Yeah, I, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, he invented a genre of music. You know, everybody plays Chuck Berry licks on the guitar. You, you, you can't play rock music without playing some Chuck Berry. Yeah. And so it was licks. Yeah. Um, so and another thing is this. Um, music halls, concert venues, back in the day were segregated. Yes. If, yeah, if they allowed black people in at all. They had ropes going around the seating sections, right? With signs hanging off saying, seating for white patrons only, colored seating only, and things like that. So, so if Brian and I were to, were to go to, to, uh, to go see uh, Frank Sinatra or Benny Goodman or somebody, we had to sit in our designated seating section as designated by the color of our skin. Mm-hmm. He and I could not sit together because that was the law. Right. If you broke the law, you go to jail. Simple as that. And most people abide it by the law. But two phenomenons happened in the 1950s. Those laws were still in place. But Chuck Berry invented that rock and roll and put that backbeat, that backbeat to that boogie woogie. And, and that just changed music altogether forever. You know, boom, boom, bop, boom, boom, bop. Against that, boom, 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 right? And um, when, when kids heard, that, heard that, that new music, they could not sit still. They bounced up out of their chairs. They knocked over those signs and ropes. And black kids and white kids, for the first time in American history, were dancing in the aisles together. And that would cause the cops to come in and shut down those shows. A lot of mayors and city fathers began banning rock and roll concerts from coming to their towns because they said it caused uh, race mixing, you know? So while people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and many other great both black and white uh, civil rights activists were marching, having sit-ins, boycotts, demonstrations, protests, um, in order to bring white adults and black adults together, these rockers, Chuck Berry, a little Richard Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins, they were achieving that with black kids and white kids through their music, that new music. That's why the establishment did not like rock and roll, and they did not initially did not like Elvis Presley because he was singing black music and wiggling around and dancing like a black guy that kicked him off the TV, right? But the demand was so high, they had to bring him back, but they only filmed him above the waist. Yeah, okay, I remember hearing something about that. Yeah, Yeah. okay. and then when they found, now, they, they did not like him. You know, the white establishment did not like him. But then when they found out how much money could be generated, then all of a sudden they made him king of rock and roll and they, and they gave him credit for, it, for inventing it, even though he, he claimed he did not. He pointed to Chuck Berry and Fats Domino as, as the kings of rock and roll. He, he did not take credit, but he was given credit. And and Forrest Gump for the dancing. <laughs> I, I think unfortunately it's probably something we're going to have to specify and uh, with with the next generation or so because that's probably what what they're going to know is Forrest Gump taught Elvis how to dance. You know? <laughs> and running with Hollywood. Are are you a big reader, Daryl? Like, what's your I favorite? Am. What what's your favorite novel? 
Oh man, I haven't read a novel in so long. I, you know, most stuff I read these days and for the past decades have been uh, biographies and autobiographies. What's uh, your favorite I, I, book? I love, I love mysteries and stuff. Okay, so what's your favorite? What was the favorite book? Favorite book, favorite, whether it be biography, fiction, nonfiction, what was, what is your favorite book, if you can name one? Or favorite author, if you can name one? Um, one of the books I really enjoyed reading was called The Clan by a lady named Patsy Sims. And she's the one who influenced me to, uh, to write a book. And uh, I wrote my book and I got to meet Patsy Sims. She's a great author, wow, a great researcher, and just amazing. That's dope. That's dope to be able to read a book and then be influenced by the book and then, and meet, then, the meet, book, the, and then meet the individual yeah. Yeah, that influenced you. And, and, you know, and you know what I did? Uh, she, wrote, you know, she, she went around the country interviewing a lot of these Klan people and I, you know, uh, back in the 70s. And I wrote my book in the 90s. I went and found... Uh, a lot of those people that she interviewed 20 years later and, uh, and interviewed them. So uh, before, well, and, and like you, you tell the story of uh, playing music at some uh, country bar. Right. And uh, that, that story with the guy that's, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, never, never, never seen a black man play the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, and in that, you, you mentioned, you know, you don't drink, but you, you went to the table and, mm -hmm. and talked to him anyway. I, I was curious, uh, have, you, have you always not drank? Has it been something that just never appealed to you? It never appealed to me. You know, we, um, we had a, uh, a, a bar in our house, uh, you know, my growing up. Um, you know, both my parents drank. You know, I mean, they weren't you know, alcoholics. You know, they were you know, social drinkers, had a lot of cocktail parties. We had a bar in our house that would rival anybody's bar. I mean, all, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it never appealed to me. It wasn't anything religious. It wasn't anything, you know, I wasn't allowed to do it or whatever. No, it just never appealed to me. Because I'd see people come over to my house as a kid, and, and they come in straight, you know, and walk out sideways. Which which brings uh, me to my next question. Let, 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 let me show you something. Hang on a second. I'm, I'm gonna, can you see this? Um, oh, that's yeah. A, that's a lot of crystal. Yeah. Okay. Check this out. Hang on a second. Let me get this over here. You, you get a kick out of this. Okay. You see this? Uh, up a little bit. Oh, that's a, I, I'm guessing a very old Holy bottle shit. of Hennessy. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now. Let me tell you the story behind this bottle, okay? Do you know who um, who Pine Top Perkins is was? No, I, I've heard the name. I okay. am not familiar. Pine Top Perkins was one of the greatest living blues and boogie woogie pianists. He died at the age of ninety-seven. He was one of the pioneers. He played with Muddy Waters. You ever heard of Muddy Waters? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Muddy was a good friend of mine, and I played with that band for three years. Um, I didn't play with Muddy directly. Muddy, Muddy had passed on, but I knew him. And Pine Top was his piano player. The band stayed together. And Pine Top went off on a solo career and gave me his spot in the band. So I toured with the band for three years. Well, anyway, um, Muddy Waters was in town. And uh, he was, he was uh, opening up for Eric Clapton. And so um, this is Muddy Waters' favorite drink. 
So Pinetop stayed at my house. So I take, you know, it's a big arena, 20,000 people. Aircraft and sold it out. Muddy Waters is the opening act. So I take Pinetop to the gig. We're backstage. And I'm standing there talking with Muddy and Pinetop. And Eric Clapton comes up and says to Muddy Waters, hey, Muddy, I got something for you. And he hands him this, this full bottle of Hennessy Cognac, which is Muddy's favorite drink. And Muddy says, oh, Eric, man, I, I'm on the wagon, man. I, I don't drink no more, right? So Eric says, oh, that's cool. So Muddy says, is it okay if I give it to my boy here? Meaning me. Mm-hmm. But Muddy thought I drank or something. <laughs> and Eric says, sure, yes, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. So Muddy handed me the bottle. So now I have this full bottle of cognac, right? And I don't drink, right? But I want it because it's from Eric Clapton yeah. to Muddy Waters to me. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Right, that's so crazy. I take it, it home. It could be, it could uh, be. I'm, I'm living at my parents' house back then, right? I take it home, and I set it on my fireplace mantelpiece. Every day I see it, every day, every day, you know, for months. And one day I walk by, I just happened to notice it wasn't there. <laughs> the bottle was not there. I'm like, what? You know, where is this thing? I'm looking all over the house for it, and it wasn't there. And, I, and nobody was home. I could not imagine somebody stole my, my, my valuable you know, uh, heirloom or something, right? Left, yeah. left everything in the house unturned, but they got Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I was in the kitchen getting something to eat, and I went to, to wipe my plate off into the trash can, and there's a bottle in the bottom of the trash can. I reach in and I pull it out, and it's empty. <laughs> I what the heck? And so it turns out my dad had been <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> That, but you know yeah. what? I kept I kept the empty bottle. That's that right here. That, 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 this, this came from 1976. That is Woo! quite that is quite the backward story. Usually it's the kids drinking dad's yeah. dad's booze. But yeah. you know, I, I was gonna say earlier when, when you said that you wanted it because it was from Clapton to Muddy Waters to you, it could have been a fucking solo cup, and I I, I would cherish it the same way. Exactly. You know? That's, ah, that's that's an amazing that is that's a story right there yeah man. and 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 to still have it um you know wh- whether it be empty or not uh that's that's definitely i there, there's gotta there's gotta be some fucking soul in that bottle uh, oh my god and like, like that, that bottle might be the holy grail like if you want to you want to be a musician <laughs> oh man, you gotta touch daryl davis Hennessy bottle. <laughs> I've got I've got one of Chuck Berry's guitar cases downstairs. All right, so yeah, what? Uh, I mean, uh, we we mentioned in the past episode, uh, you know, you you've definitely done your dues with a lot of just icons, really. Uh, you know what what kind of uh, outside of the Hennessy bottle, outside of the guitar case. Uh, is, is there anything else that you've amassed? Uh, I don't have anything from you, man. Uh, well, I, I don't have much to offer but stickers. I could send you a shirt. There you go. Uh, I, I do have go. shirts, um, which, I, hell, I'd, I'd be more than happy to send you. Send um, me a shirt, man. I'll wear, I'll wear it on part three. Hey, that works. Um, uh, in all reality, like the, the thing I'm most concerned about is uh, next time you're in the Chicago area, 
I, I, I would definitely love to at least meet up in time to shake your hand. Oh, absolutely. Now, now what, what kind of music do you like? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that blanket statement and say I like everything, but with, with the fact that I, I like everything to a point, like there's, I'm a firm believer in there's something to enjoy in every genre of music. Um, no matter what it be, you, you could find something that you enjoy out of it. Um, I just went to New Orleans and I, I was looking forward to seeing some jazz and Zydeco music while I was down there. I did. Uh, I, I definitely, definitely found out that I like the clarinet a lot more than, than I thought I would. Uh, uh-huh. cause I, I went and seen, um, the original tuxedo jazz band at, uh, the jazz playhouse. Preservation hall jazz band. Yeah. And, um, but no, generally, uh, rock, classic rock, ska, punk. Um, and then I, you know, uh, as, as stereotypical as it's going to sound, you know, Tupac, Biggie, um, uh, Public Enemy, Run DMC. Uh, my, my favorites growing up were Aerosmith and ACDC. Um, uh, but I, I jammed with uh, Joe Perry one time. That, that'd, be, that'd be amazing. Like if if there is one person that I can meet from Aerosmith, it it would be Joe Perry and then Steven Tyler. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, as far as that goes, like I I think if if I could sit down and have a conversation with with Perry and Tyler, I I don't know what the hell I'd do with myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then at, at the same time, Brian Johnson from ACDC. Um, you know, that, that's another one. I would shit there. There's a lot of people I'd love to sit down and talk to. Um, but I don't know. There, there, there's a couple of country artists that, uh, you know, like mid nineties that, that I would like to talk to. Um, these days I can't stand it. Um, but I, I think generally the radio just sucks these days. Terrestrial radio. Yeah. I I'm, I'm very happy that there are, uh, means like Spotify and Pandora. Um, but I, like, I, I, are you familiar with Spyro Gyra at all? Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's I, when, when I, one, one of the guys that, that I play with from time to time used to play with them. Really? Yeah. Scotty Ambush. When, when, when I was going through EMT school, I would put on Spyro Gyra and do my EMT work. And that was from my dad became a fan of Spyro Gyra and that was just a name that I knew, uh-huh. and I was looking for something that I could listen to in the background while I was doing book work, mm-hmm. and so therefore I became a fan more more than I thought I would. Um, but yeah, that's I. Generically, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the blanket statement out there that you know there's there's something for everybody in every genre. Daryl, you have. Uh... Have you ever, uh, when was the last time you played in Chicago? But I played in Chicago. Oh, it's been a while. It's been years. Now, I've spoken there uh, a few years ago, uh, Northwestern or somewhere. Okay. What did, but it's in- uh, I, I, I did the Chicago Blues Festival, I don't know, maybe six years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got to get you in Chicago, man. Got to get you in Chicago. Got to get you in Detroit. Got to get you somewhere in the Midwest. 
selfishly so I could just come and see you. That's <laughs> definitely. So you do you do travel a lot? Yeah. Uh, in the yeah. in the last in the last two weeks, I've been to Germany, I've been to Belgium, I've been to Poland, I've been to Arizona and Indiana. That's I fuck. I'm I'm upset that that. I missed Indiana, but that was probably while I was on vacation. I might be coming to the Bloomington area. I don't know, maybe in January or something. I, I'll keep you posted. All right. That's, uh, yes, please do. Please do. I know, I know January, February, I'm going to try to skip town uh, okay. and head to Florida to try to try to meet up with some World War II vets uh-huh. and, uh, and do an episode with them. Have you, uh, have you been to D.C. to see the, um, the World War II Memorial? I have not. I, I've been to D.C. I think I was 14 at the time. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't get to do a lot of sightseeing. Uh, I honestly can't remember if I seen the World War II Memorial. Well, no, you didn't see it if you were 14 because I, I played the unveiling of it. I was the entertainment and, yeah. uh, a few years ago. Okay. Yeah, that's um, uh, just I, I seen the White House, the Washington Monument, Lincoln Monument uh, from afar, the, yeah. the, the reflection pool. Uh, and a Baltimore Orioles game, but <laughs> you know that—that's about what I what I remember from from that from that trip. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. All right, you want me to just go ahead and just throw them something else because you forgot where you're going? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I I haven't. The bottom line is I haven't seen much in D.C. And what I have seen, it's a distant memory. So, yeah. Well, time to revisit. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, definitely uh, travel is definitely something that uh, me and my wife want to do. But right now we're in the middle of, uh, you know, like I said, we got a four-year-old. Uh, I think we may have just decided that we're going to add another. Uh, so the next few years will probably be kind of busy. Uh huh. Um, but as far as uh. As far as you coming to the Midwest, definitely keep us posted. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know one more question that I had for you um, is in XNL Currency, you, you mentioned a couple of times how you want to open your own museum. Yes. So how far along has that come, and is that still one of the things yes. you want to do? Okay. I, I have a 501c3 now. Okay. Um, which, which I had, you know, even the last time I talked to you, uh, I've been looking at different buildings to, you know, for purchase. I got to find something that's, you know, within, within reason, you know, uh, within reason, meaning my budget. Um, I don't want to rent space because, you know, every year rent goes up, right? Exactly. Uh, so I, I'd like a permanent home for my collection of stuff, which I'm continually getting. Um, but I've not found the suitable building just yet. My eyes are still open. However, I'm going to be putting on loan some of my stuff, some of my clan robes and uh, clan flags and neo-Nazi stuff uh, to the um, uh, Holocaust Center of Orlando, Florida. They're going to okay. take it, put it on display, and create a traveling exhibit. So we should travel around for a year or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which... That that brings me to another point that I, I remembered I want to ask, which, again, you mentioned in Accent Old Courtesy. Um, like, you talk about uh, Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
the the quote that caught me was you don't burn our history right so uh what i gathered from it is you were you were on the side of the fence to not tear down the statues but move them yes so where do you think that that would be something to keep in dc or do you think that would be something better suited somewhere else or how 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 exactly do you think that the the statues should be handled it could be anywhere it could be anywhere uh it could be in the south it could be in the north it could be out in california even though california doesn't have a confederate history it doesn't matter. It's just like, you know, the United States doesn't have a Holocaust history, but the Holocaust Museum is in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. Um, anyway, those, those statues should be, statues and flags should be taken down. They should be put in a museum or put in a, build a Confederate memorial park. And people who want to honor that stuff can go there and get on their knees and throw flowers down and all that kind of stuff if that's what they want to do. Um, those flags should not be flying on our buildings, especially our capitals. Uh, like South Carolina, we had to boycott South Carolina in order right. to the flag. Uh, those statues should not be standing um, in, in, in public places other than a museum or, or, or a, a park. Look, people need to get over it. The South lost the war. All right? Now, there, there were, were, uh, were black people, uh, there were Jewish people who also fought in the Confederacy. Black people had to fight for their slave, for, for their slave masters, right? Uh, even though I was born in Chicago, my parents are from Virginia, which was the seat of the Confederacy. And the only reason I was born in Chicago is because they had moved there for my dad's job. Um, I had, I had uh, slave ancestors who fought in the Confederacy. Today, there are a number of black people who honor the Confederacy. They don't honor slavery. They honor the Confederacy because they had ancestors who fought there. Now, me personally, I do not honor the Confederacy. I do care less about it. Um, I honor my ancestors because without them, I wouldn't be here. But I don't honor the Confederacy. Uh, however, if somebody wants to honor it, that's fine. But the loser does not get to erect their statues and their flags. We went to war against Japan. We went to war against Germany. We don't fly the German flag or Japanese flag and, and put up you know, uh, uh, statues of uh, Hirohito or, or Adolf Hitler or, or, or fly you know, all that kind of stuff. They lost, they lost, okay? We went to war against what? Great Britain, didn't we? England? We don't fly the Union Jack, do we? We went to war against the South, so why are we flying, flying the Confederate flag? We beat them. They need to get over it. Yeah. I think that, uh, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, goddamn, we ended, we, like, we were rounding the band. It was all lighthearted. People were getting ready to know. People were getting to know Daryl Davis is on a, you know, on a personal level. He's talking That's about Chuck Berry and shit. And you just hit. You just ended it with some hardcore shit, man. Hey, that's I. I for once I actually had notes, and I, and I wanted to uh, to uh, to to do justice. Um, well, ne ne next time when we do part three, I'm gonna set this up by my piano. So we're talk, We're gonna talk some music 
and I'll play you some tunes. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, hey, I'm definitely yeah. down. Yes. Uh, that's un- unfortunately the only musical talent that I have is with the the juice harp. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't really come through too well through uh through the microphone. So <laughs> I hear you. Oh man, uh, that's, I I, I that's did dope. I did a little bit of piano, uh a little bit of flute. Uh but that's I I think the the most I I got into it was I I did uh, the keyboard at a Christmas music play in fourth grade, man. Um, but I, I I never stuck with it. So mm-hmm. I, I've always enjoyed music uh, musicianship. Uh, my father has a, a a degree in in uh, in music, and he's traveled the world singing uh, with his college uh, choir. Um, I don't even know how long ago that was, but I grew up like with gospel and classical music and rock and roll. Like that's what I grew up on. Like I remember the first time I heard rap, I was like, this shit is amazing. When you grew up on Mahalia Jackson. That that, that brings (laughs) up a question out out of today's music. Is there anything that you enjoy? Uh, Yeah. I like Bruno Mars. I like Christina Aguilera. I like Leanne Rimes. Um, you, you, I'm sure you. Well, I know you're familiar with uh, Bruno Mars, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of them, all of them. That's Bruno Mars is one of the guilty pleasures that even my wife looks at me kind of funny. You know? <laughs> like you, you got to appreciate. He's talented, it. though. You've, you've got to appreciate it. He's very mm-hmm. talented. Extremely talented, man. So, what what do you have coming up? What what, what is on your tour dates? Well, coming up. <laughs> Uh, this Sunday, day after tomorrow, I go to Connecticut. Then I go to Los Angeles. Then I go to Venice, Italy. Then I come back. And, and are those uh, music en- engagements, speaking engagements? So, th- th- those are all speaking engagements. I just okay. did an engagement last Saturday. Okay. So how much of your time throughout the year is devoted to tra- uh, travel for speaking? How much of it is devoted towards music? Um, it used to be probably 60, 40, uh, music being, being number one. Now it's probably the other way around, you know, uh, doing a lot more speaking and that's, and that's by choice. You know, I'm just playing the gigs, you know, you know, that I want to play now. Uh, I, I would much rather be, be playing a rock and roll concert or a blues concert than, than going to a Klan rally. But, uh, but I find this to be very, you know, necessary. I, I can't understand why. <laughs> so uh, are, are there any bands outside of uh, Bruno Mars and Christina Aguilera, anybody that you would, you would like yeah, to play uh, with? That I'd want to play with? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've played with everybody that I've wanted to play with pretty much. You know, I, 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 I set that goal and I pretty much attained it. Um, I'm happy to play with anybody, you know, who makes good music. I like good music and I like to play. I like to learn. I'm still learning to play different things, you know? Um, I, I, you know, music excites me. It, it, uh, it invigorates me and I like working with good musicians. Um, but is there anybody out there that I really want to, you know, get down and jam with? Um, I'm happy to do it with anybody, but I, I have uh, I set my goals high, and I and I reached them. You know, uh, I want to, I want to play with Chuck Berry. I did that for thirty two years. 
Yeah, but, uh, but, but these days, what, what would be your pinnacle? He was my pinnacle. I mean, I don't think anybody else measures up to that. Well, that's that's why I ask these days. These days, yeah. uh, not considering the you, past. You're not catching what he's saying. These days, none of these sons of bitches well, that's, live yeah. up to Chuck Berry. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, like that's he's, trying, he's very PC in what he's doing right now. I don't want to put um, my man Daryl out. <laughs> let's see. I, I mean, there, there are a lot of great people out there. I mean, I've played with, with uh, Bruce Hornsby. Um, I've played with a number of people. Um, I just wasn't sure if uh, something like Elton John or something like that would come up. I, I've seen them. I've never worked with him. Uh, I never met him. One of my, one of my classmates oh, is one of his backup singers. Um, yeah, that, I just didn't know if that, like, any, anybody like that or any, anybody that you haven't played with yet, like, who would be I on mean, the top if, of the list. If I was offered the opportunity, I wouldn't turn it down. Sure, I'd, I'd play with him. Um, but um, it's not something that I I would want to pursue like I did with Chuck Berry. Yeah, but that that that's what I'm asking. Like yeah. out, outside of everybody that you've already played with, who would be the the band or the person that you would want to play with before all said and done? Nobody really comes to mind. That's that's impressive. Like yeah. that, that, you know, all, all that says is I've, I've been accomplished. I've, you know, I've done what I've wanted to do, uh, musically. And that's, that's impressive. I, I, I really, I really love that. Well, it's true. I mean, there, there are a lot of great people out there. You know, I, I would, I would welcome the opportunity if it was offered to me, um, Say, you know, if, say, say if Bruce Springsteen said, hey, you know, let's, let's jam. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, I'd love it. But, but it wouldn't be something that's on my bucket list. Okay. Yeah, I guess that would be a better way to put it, your bucket list. Uh-huh. It's kind of dope, man, when you, when you get to live your bucket list, like long before you use the term bucket list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that I mean that's that is a a fulfilled life when before you reach the age when people are like what's on your bucket list you'd be Nothing. like uh yeah no man I already knocked that out I'm I'm, yeah. I'm just living for the weekend now man <laughs> right, so so outside of music is there just playing with house money Daryl Davis is playing with house money. So outside of music, is there anything on your bucket list? <sighs> yeah, you, you, uh, I, believe it or not, I want to um, I want to jump out of a plane, man. I want to I'll do some parachuting. That's a man after how, my own heart, you, man. How do you do everything that you've done and not jump out of a plane? <laughs> well, I haven't had time. I, I can't. All right, that's that's reasonable. I, I, can't, I can't very close, but, but I, I hadn't done it yet. But one yeah. day, I, I, I want to lose weight first. <laughs> Let me tell you what, man. Being at some of the places that Daryl Davis has been, I would say it's pretty goddamn close to jumping out of a fucking plane. <laughs> or, or worse, statistically probably worse. Um, all right, well. What, what do you want to do, man? Everything. Yeah. Everything I can. I, I want to talk to everybody. I want to do everything. Um, all right, let me ask you a question. So who who is the uh, one person that, you know, if you if you had one person living right now, uh, who who uh, who you've not interviewed, who you would love to interview, who would it be? 
it, it depends on what we're talking about. Uh, if, if we're talking cigars, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Um, he, he's a big cigar smoker. He's, he's obviously had a hell of a history. Um, you know, just cigar-wise, Schwarzenegger. Um, let's see, music-wise, living... Man, like just just out of like history perspective alone, probably Willie Nelson, just because that guy's got to have some stories. I've met him; he's a great guy. Yeah, that's yeah. and and I, honestly, I don't know, I don't know much of his music at all. I just I just know the the persona, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I I know that dude's got to have some some stories. Oh well, yeah, he's, he's about, what 80, 80 some years old. He definitely got some stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see Schwarzenegger, Nelson. Uh, I've already talked to Coffee Black. Well, thank uh, you. I'm glad I made the list. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, man. That's uh, see now. Now that it's turned on me, I see how difficult it is to answer. Ah, the interview <laughs> the interview has become the interviewee i mean just just like if if anybody asks you what what's your favorite cigar uh it it depends on the mood just just the same as you know as far as talking to anybody um, now are you into the cuban cigars and all that uh i've got a few i've i've smoked plenty um you know there's there's some really good ones there's some that are meh um, hey, have you ever been a smoker or no? No. My dad, my dad was a cigar smoker. So would you be willing to smoke a cigar if we ever met in person? No. No? All <laughs> right. Um, Cuban cigars, it, again, it depends on, like, uh, I'll enjoy a Cuban cigar in the morning with coffee. Uh-huh. More than I would enjoy it right now. You know? Okay. Um, as of late. Uh, JSK Jessam Crawl is is one of the brands that's uh, uh, I I would say up and coming, but at the same time dominating. Um, very very good cigars, very good quality, and just a dominating presence for somebody as young as he is in the industry. He he's killing it. Um, I tell you, you a guy that I could see you interviewing. I met him one time, a very fascinating guy, is uh, Richard Branson. Oh, he oh is, yeah? he's incredible. Yeah. I would love to talk, sit down and talk to Richard See, Branson. Yeah. The, the, the thing with me is that, like, when I, when I say I want to sit down and talk to everybody, I, I truly mean it. Uh-huh. I, you know, just like you, just like coffee, just like everybody that I've talked to in the past, I just like to learn about other people. Mm. And I... A conversation is 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 golden ninety nine percent of the time. Um, I want to talk to everybody. I want to learn as much as I can about different people. So, uh, that's you're 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 one of the few people that I've that I've had on the show that doesn't smoke cigars. But that that goes to say, like it it doesn't matter. Like I I just want to talk. I just want to talk to anybody. Yeah. So, 
people who hang out at Klan rallies, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you were so uncomfortable asking that question, answering that question. You were like, man, I don't know. Uh, uh, Which one? Uh, who would you want to talk to? Oh, well, no, that's it, it's because it's such a it's such a, a, it's a broad fun. question. Yeah, yeah. No, not that it's a, a broad question, but it's a it's a really broad answer. Yeah. Uh, the the question is direct, but when when you try to think about who you want to talk to in life, whether it be over a cigar or not, and your answer is everybody, <laughs> you, you gotta it, it's gonna take it's gonna take a little bit of thought, but. I don't know. Uh, I, I just enjoy smoking a cigar and having a conversation. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's what's up. Why are you looking, you looking at me for an answer? No, I'm looking at you for confirmation. Oh, yeah. I mean, no. Uh, listen, man. I, it, it's one of those things. Uh, it's, it's a question that's, that's I used to hear generally posed uh, more, uh, you know, 10 plus years ago, uh, you know, you're having a dinner party. Uh, who are the five people that you're right, inviting right. to that, that dinner party to have? Yeah, yeah. And I've heard of people answer it in a bevy of ways. Uh, some people, you know, they just add, you know, people that they just hold in high regard, you know, I, you know, or they're fans of, and then some people they do it, uh, well, uh, you know, you want an architect at the, the dinner party. You want an artist at the dinner party. You want a musician at the dinner party. You want a political uh, figure at the dinner party. You know, like, so they break it down. So, all right, if we're going to have this dinner party, then I want these individuals here to keep the conversation, you know, interesting and going. And it's, it's similar to art. It's subjective. There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just subjective of, of who you would like to, you know, share a memory with because that's what it's ultimately going to be a memory yeah. like, like this, what we just did to like, I am never forgetting it. I didn't forget it before. And I, I, I don't forget it now. Like this is just incredible. Well, let's put it this way. Like uh, in the, in a Twitter group that I'm in for podcasts, somebody asked me, you know, or, or somebody mentioned something about who would you interview. It's like, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. And, um, you know, everybody knows that I'm a cigar smoker, cigar podcast, I guess. Uh, I don't really consider this a cigar podcast, but, you know, anyway, uh, it's like, yeah, anybody. They're like, oh, even Monica Lewinsky? It's like, well, yeah, why not? Oh, yeah, well, I and, mean, and it's like, well, it, as long as she doesn't modify my cigar, I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, like, like for instance, right now, I, like, and I'm, it just so happens that, and Brian, you can honestly contest to this. Um, I remember, I know in the first show, I, I know I might have talked about it in, 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 in ep, uh, you know, part one, but I remember hearing, uh, 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 you Daryl speak to Dan Lebetard from ESPN mm-hmm. and I was floored and at the time we were sh- we were running our podcast the truth about lies uh, myself and uh, Jack Brickhouse out in Arizona and when I spoke to him and I told him about you and that might be two years ago now 
mm-hmm. uh, roughly well, two years. When when we did this, it was about a year and a half ago. Okay, so yeah, so, that might have been two years, roughly around two years, <laughs> two and a half years or so ago. And I called my buddy and I told him about it, and he listened to it. I was like, dude, like that is the interview of like that is the interview. Like I would love to sit down and speak to that guy. At the time, Daryl, you was that guy. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, man, I would love to speak to that guy. Like, I would just love to just listen. So I don't even know how much great of an interview it would have been because he's filled with so much knowledge and what he's doing. I'm so enamored by it. Like, this is incredible. And then you call me and you hit me up and you say, yo, Let's I'm in it. contact with Daryl Davis. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure it was and, something about, you know, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? Yeah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> are you like fucking kidding me? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What do you mean have I ever heard of him? Hell yeah, I heard of him. Wait a minute, you you know you got him? And he was like, Well, I don't know. And then that man, that night when I left the studio that night, it was like I, I mean, I was on cloud nine. So similar, like I've got like for me, this was the get. This was like the first get. Like if I'm as a as a host of a show, uh, my, my own podcast. Like this is, I don't. Who would you like the information and not like constant learning? Just to man, dude. Look, I, this is my Daryl Davis was on my bucket list to talk to, so I'm good. I scratched that <laughs> one off the list. I'm I'm good now. All right, <laughs> I'm good. My bucket list isn't that long. It's talk to Daryl Davis. Well, let's hope your life is long. Yeah, yes, yes. My life is long, but my bucket list is very short. Talk to Daryl Davis. I already knocked that off the list. And right now, currently, uh, I'm 35. I just don't want to be a fucking hashtag. Like that. Is, <laughs> <I don't>... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, like, one, one thing. I, how, how do you feel? Like, I'm, I'm going to be the fucking stick in the mud again and 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 bring it down a notch uh but uh for a potential part three um i i've heard a lot in the news and and whatnot about the mental health state amongst black men uh do you have any any opinions or knowledge on that uh i don't have a whole lot of uh of fact-based information on it i i do know that the health state is is not as good as it could be and, and as it should be uh in this country um now i see a lot of people make, make the mistake of thinking that it's genetic but in this country uh white males uh have have a um a lengthier longevity than black males do uh and it, and see people want to pass it off as being genetic it's not genetic it's the fact that black males in this country are under stress and stress is what um, can take a toll on you, you know. Um, you know, we all get diabetes, we all get cancer, we all get, you know, whatever else. But, um, but you know, when, when somebody's put under stress, that exacerbates all the other things, you know, that you can get. Diabetes is one of the worst killers of, uh, of, 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 of black people in this country. Yeah. Uh, I, I have diabetes, you know, for example. But, you know, and, and stress can definitely exacerbate it. Now, you go to other countries that are predominantly black and, and there's not the stress of racism and this, that, and the other that we have in this country, 
they live a long time. They even outlive whites in this country. Yeah. So yeah, that's I was gonna I was gonna ask if you'd be interested in uh, like a, a mental health conversation. Sure. You want to evaluate me? <laughs> oh no, no, not 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 you or anybody in particular. It, it was just uh, one of those one of those things that I that I've heard uh, talked about, um, especially recently, like uh, uh, the What Up Though podcast out in Detroit. You know, they they talk about uh, mental health a bit. And it was something I was curious about. So it is a very terrible. I mean, I, if, if I can get some more information on it, I'd be happy to share. You know my feelings on it. I I'm just not. I don't think I'm that qualified at the present time to offer anything that you know that would be beneficial. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm not qualified to talk about anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm happy to discuss it with you. Sure. Uh, that's. Uh, I'm I'm happy to to uh, discuss anything, but. No, that, that was just one of those things I figured I'd throw out there for, for a possible future, yeah, sure. future endeavor. Um, Let's get him with that piano. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I definitely – I definitely, did a part three with Daryl and the piano and him playing ballads and telling us stories of conversations with white, white supremacists uh, with him playing ballads in the background. That would be amazing. <laughs> now, let me, let, me, let me throw this out there. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to do that as well. But uh, let me throw this out there. Do you think, uh, uh, both of you, uh, do you think that um, that racism is a mental illness? No. I, 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 I will say right off the bat without any thought, so it's definitely, you know, uninformed, I guess. Well, not necessarily, but I, I would say no. I don't think it's a mental illness at all. Uh, and the reason being, it's taught. It, it's what? It's, it, it's taught. Just like we were saying earlier, it's uh, you know, it's it's not hereditary. I I don't think that it is a. a, a I mean, yeah, but, but, I mean, but people who people who are mentally ill, um, some of them are born that way. Yeah, you know, uh, but but there are people who who become mentally ill also. Yes. Uh, I think people that become mentally ill would be a different story, but as far as racism as a whole, I, I wouldn't think that that would be genetic. No, it's it's definitely not genetic, but but you know, but mental illness doesn't necessarily have to be genetic either. So right. are are you saying as far as the line uh, uh, along the lines of? Uh, this shit has happened to me in the past and it's made me mentally ill towards I mean, racism. You know, or... Sometimes people, people who, who suffer trauma can be mentally ill. Um, as far as trauma goes, like blunt, blunt force trauma or, or anything like that, I think that could definitely affect your state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the studies have shown that uh, people... Well, like, with... say, say agoraphobia, acrophobia, uh, things like that. That that's classified as as a as a degree of mental illness. Yeah. Okay. Mental illness. Yeah. So if somebody is afraid of Chinese people, or afraid of black people, or afraid of you know whatever, uh, to, I, to the point of phobia. I I think if it's a point of, um, you know, like if a if a say Chinese guy is afraid of white people because his dad was beat down by white people, I uh-huh. I definitely think that that would cause mental illness for sure 
uh, and which would systemically be uh, racism. Uh, so I could, I could definitely see that point of view. Yeah. So now, so now you just did a 180. I, I did. I'm not afraid to admit it either. Yeah. That's I, I mean, shit. I think the, I think while I've done this, I've proved that I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong and well, no, know, I'm not changing my wrong. mind. Um, oh no, no, I'm, yeah. that, that's what I'm saying. Admitting there, when I'm there, wrong and being able to change my mind. I think it, that it, that it, is one of the things that a lot more people need to be able to do. Yeah. The psychologists and psychotherapists and psycho people uh, who deal in that, in that field, they, they have a book called the DSM. Uh, and, and it changes, you know, every few years as to what is mental illness and what is not mental illness. Um, and there, and people always disagree on it. Uh, I, I, at one point, you know, they had uh, homosexuality as a mental illness, and then they removed it, you know, from the book or whatever. It's, it's, it's their Bible. It's called the DSM. And right now, I think they're on DSM number five. Um, but anyway, they've been fighting for years and years not to put racism in the book. Um, and there's a lot of reason why people want racism in the book, and there's reason why people don't want racism in the book. Um, I mean, to me, to, to, be, to be irrational in the face of rationale is to have a mental illness. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if, if, if you don't like somebody, you hate somebody, you, uh, you, know, you want to destroy that person uh, just because you see the color of their skin, uh, something is wrong there. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with preferring something. Like, you know, let's say, you know, you prefer Jewish women or you prefer blondes or you prefer black women or whatever. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you say, I prefer uh, a blonde, but I want to I wanna eliminate all brunettes, then there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but I think one of the reasons why they don't want to put it in that book uh, racism as being a mental illness is because if they did, they'd have to lock up half the country into, into institutions. Yeah. You know? But then also then, if, if racism is a mental illness and, and some racist guy kills you, then can he plead mental insanity? No, no. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know? Yeah. You know, that, you know that might be a topic uh, that, to, that's, that's, to look into. That is you know? something... In, uh, to dive into that is yeah. an incredible debate yeah is is racism a mental illness jesus christ that that is hep god damn daryl shit i had to put you on the bucket list again to, for part three i gotta i gotta add i gotta have a part three with daryl davis i gotta meet him i gotta shake his hand i gotta take a few pictures <laughs> I gotta have dinner with him. I, I gotta, I gotta play the juice harp while he plays the piano. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I gotta ask Daryl. Daryl, are you a fan of steaks? Are you, yeah. a fan of, uh, you a fan of yeah. steak? What's your favorite steak, Daryl? I like prime rib. I like uh, ribeye. Medium, uh, uh, well done. I, I like rare, man. Rare. Now, yeah. how rare do you like it? Like, I, I met a guy. I was working at a restaurant, and I met a guy. He was like. I want to run it off my plate. I got that's it. That's what he, I was just getting ready. No, <laughs> no. Getting ready to say. He said, I want it alive. I was like, excuse me? Sir? He's like, I want it alive. Now, do yeah. I bring up the stereotypes here? Oh, oh yeah. Well, 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 well I mean, well, generally in, in black culture, uh, <laughs> tend to grow up with our, our red meat. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 
grew up like that and then like like myself i like i like it i like it medium rare i like it medium rare yes, I get, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you guys you guys celebrate halloween last night y'all got tear it up this weekend oh i, I don't really I've, I've celebrated halloween before like i've done like the costume parties and all that i have partied daryl i i was living life fast in, in my youth i've done it all like i was at a halloween party uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, it was a club called Pierre's. This place was like the size of a, it was like a compound almost. And uh-huh. uh, uh, we, uh, a group of us went out there one night to party and it was a costume party. We were all in costumes and I knew I had done, I, I didn't know, I did, as a kid, you always, you see it on TV, costume parties, Halloween parties. And when I got of age, I said, man, I want to go to an actual costume party. And I did. And in the costume party in that club that night, I saw a guy that walked in in a costume as Jesus Christ. It was a black guy. He had dreads. He had a crown on. And he was dancing. And he was dancing with Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers. And I said, holy shit, I've lived to see it all right now. Like, I don't, I don't need to go to another costume party. Jesus Christ was dancing with Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. A sexy uh, Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. My, my, my <laughs> Halloweens have definitely changed throughout the years. Uh, were, were, were they dancing to the Awesome Powers theme? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I believe they were dancing to a Little Wayne song. Okay. <laughs> no, my, my Halloweens have changed throughout the years. Uh, now that I've got my son. It's all about the kids now. Yeah, when it, you have it, kids, it, really it changes. Is. It changes uh, when you have kids. Back in the day, uh, we, we, my my brother's house had one of one of the, the the finest Halloween parties in Hammond, Indiana. Uh, it was always the Saturday after Halloween, so it would be the last one, and everyone would be able to make it. Um, to the point where we would have the the Hammond police officers make it a point to stop by just to see what everybody was wearing. Um, but yeah, that's uh, ha- Halloween's definitely changed throughout the years. Like la- last night, it was snowing. And we we took our son out, and he had a blast. He got a bucket full of candy, and you got trick or treated last night. Yeah, in twenty degree weather. Yeah, he has a man, that is that is white. Yeah, that, is, was, that is really man, that is really white. I, I was just about to say <laughs> fucking white people, fucking white people. Fucking man, white. yeah, yeah, I that is really white, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Halloween has really, really changed. It it really has um, changed. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it used to be, I mean, as I said, I'm 61 years old, so probably twice as old as, as well, almost twice as old as you guys are. But, um, you know, I, I remember being able to go out by yourself and oh, go yeah. from house to house and get candy and everything was good. And now, you know, people put razor blades in candy and all kinds of nonsense. Yeah, trick-or-treating yeah. is different now. And you see trick-or-treating, you see a lot of cars on the street, yeah. a lot of Traffic is, I know specifically in Griffith, Indiana, because my kids that we we would generally bring our kids over the years uh, to Griffith to, to trick or treat, and now it's you pull up to the house, the kids hop out, they go to the door, and then they hop back in the car, and then you drive to the next house. Like you yeah. see, like you said back in the day, it was like, yeah, all right, we're gonna go trick or treat, and let your kids out, you guys go trick or treat. Now it the world is so batshit crazy. Like it's parents all over the street. It's cops. It's this, that, and other. They've got it time now. I mean, growing up in Chicago, like 
uh, in the early nineties, the true. curfew was twelve o'clock. Yeah, it was. Now same. it's from five to seven. Yeah, yeah. It was as soon as we got out of school until we ran out of energy. Yeah, like you know. it's totally different. Hey, I got a good one for you. Um, I was on my way to Poland last week, right to Warsaw and Krakow, and um, you know I, I always take my my wall charger with the little adapter for the European plugs, and I meant to, to grab my cigarette lighter uh, charger for my phone out of my car in case I had to be in somebody's car or something, right? And I forgot it. So I'm in the airport and uh, I go in one, one of those electronic stores and, to, and I ask, I said, um, do you have any uh, cigarette lighter chargers to the young girl? And she says, we don't sell cigarettes. And I said, no, I'm talking about cigarette charger for my phone. She had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, look, do you all have phone chargers for cell phones? Take me over to the wall and there's the wall adapters. There are the you know, cigarette lighter chargers. And I said, do you drive? And she says, yeah. And I said, what kind of charger do you use in your, in your, uh, for your phone in your car? And she points to one. And I said, well, that's exactly what I'm looking for. What do you call this? She says, it's a mobile charger. And I said, well, what does it fit into? And she says, well, it's a port in my vehicle. I put it in there. I said, let me tell you something. That port used to be for cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. how far. That's how far we've come. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, how yeah. far no we've about. come. My son does not know what a payphone is. Oh, yeah. When yeah. I broke when I broke down uh, one night, uh, my sister had came in town. Her and her husband had came in town from uh, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, uh, my kids were over, and we got to talking, and we were telling them about early technology pagers and what the early cell phones were like, they could not, they didn't even understand. So then we, you know, you get the reminiscence, you talk about pay phones and, and, you know, they were like, wait a minute, what? I was like, yeah, there wasn't always like, you were, like, we broke down like, cause now they have their own uh, 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 debit cards. Yeah. And I said, Dude, debit card. I was like, man, there was a moment where, like, when we got the breaking down the initial technologies that now we, uh, uh, you know, the younger generation just takes for granted. They just think it was always there. Like, paying for stuff with your phone was not always a thing. Like, scanning right. stuff with your phone, that, that was not always a thing. At one point, the phone was used to make a phone oh. call and that was yeah. it you couldn't do anything else with it i said even before cell phones if your car broke down you had to walk on the highway to the nearest gas station which could be 10 miles it could be five miles it could be 20 miles and mm -hmm. and try to get help like i've been broke down on the road before and my son was just looking at me like wait what I was like, yeah, like this. He was like, well, why didn't you just call Triple A? Triple A. Triple A was not even a thing. I wasn't even thought about. Triple A. Oh my good. I, I I would love. I would always. I always say, man, I would love to take somebody from like. It's not even far in history, like 1985, and drop them into 2019 right now, and just yeah. let them like freak the fuck out like that is real culture shock you can even yeah. you can even say 95 oh god yes that's i mean shit dude, that's 25 years ago 
insane. Absolutely insane. Oh, man, this was great. This was great talking to you. All right. Well, yeah, this is incredible. Part three, we'll do, we'll do some music, some mental illness stuff, and whatever else. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> whatever else is probably the key there. So, all right, Daryl, again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. My pleasure. And, thank and you for having us. So I, I'll let you know when it's out, and um, you know, it, it should be within the next couple of days. So, okay. Uh, uh, and and esteemed pleasure to to sit and talk with you, uh, Mr. Davis. Well, stay in touch, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and definitely definitely let us know if you're going to be in town. And, okay. Uh, we'll... Let him know when you're going to be here around January or February because he's he's going on vacation to he's getting away from the Midwest where it's. Normally it's like negative thirty five degrees. Who me? Yeah, you. You, you said you. Yeah, you going to Florida? No. You said you were going to Florida in January. No. Oh, that's that. If if that's the case, it's going to be for like two days. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. that that that's only if if All I right. could set it up. Uh, there's a there's a uh, there's a VFW near my uncle near out out by uh, Tampa that has a a very high World War Two. Um clientele and they have a, a cigar patio so that's the plan is to head down there set it up to where i could talk to some world war ii vets smoke some cigars and and learn some history uh, yeah. well daryl if you're up here or if you're around the surrounding uh area of the midwest uh, uh again please let us know we'll stay in contact uh, because I will come represent the Herfcast and chop it up with, with Daryl and r- r- get that off my bucket list. That's right. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds All right, good. Thank you, sir. Thanks again. All right, take care. Yep, Bye-bye. you too. And there you have it. Another Race Relations episode with Daryl Davis, Coffee Black, and myself. You can find Daryl Davis's music on Spotify. Follow him on social media. Coffee Black, follow him on social media. And if you're in Northwest Indiana, Chicago area, uh, check him out at one of his comedy shows. Um, check out theherfcast.com. Visit there. All the episodes are there. Uh, you could visit the store and buy a shirt. Or you could click the link for Patreon and support me that way. That would be amazing. Again, $1, $5, and $7 tiers. Uh, The $5 tier has a contest every month, and the $7 tier is the contest plus a T-shirt. Don't forget to use the coupon code HERFCAST at stogiebird.com and janistabac.com for money off of your cigar purchases. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for the next one.